Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be broadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy wherever they get their podcasts. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Anybody there? Oh, that's good, uh, because it's <laughs> Motorsport Series 16, episode 35, just after 8 o'clock in the UK. It's getting dark. In fact, no, it is dark already. I feel the summer's gone. You know, it's odd, isn't it? The boys of summer, it's gone already. Anyway. Uh, on RS1 tonight, uh, we have Midweek Motorsport for a couple of hours, and we have a packed programme, which includes Tim Gray up in London. It does indeed. Oh, and you want someone else is on the show? Well, no, nobody, nobody. Uh, no, that's not quite true. On a packed programme tonight, Tim, as our executive producer, you can tell me, what, do el- what else do we have? Uh, we'll be doing all the usual features. Uh, and some occasional features as well. Nick Damon will be here with his team-by-team Hooray! review of the Dutch Grand Prix. That's happened at the weekend. Uh, we also have... I'm not really loud, am I? Uh, we also have uh, a big interview with Michael Carter, uh, which I suspect will be partly previewing uh, this weekend's race action. Uh, okay, I can ask him about that. That's MX5, Mazda. We've got a really busy weekend coming up. Because we have. We have we'll three talk events. about that a lot yes. during the show as well. Uh, we will be talking to Declan Brennan about a multitude of things, uh, because we haven't spoken to Dex for a very long time. Uh, and uh, lots more. Do you know when you even said that, I was actually flexing my right wrist as if I was revving my motorcycle, which which is quite bizarre, really. Is that suggestive that you might talk to him about motorbikes? I, I think so. He's I think definitely that's talking to him about uh, IndyCar and about uh, the World Rally Ooh. Championship, because obviously Nick will refuse to talk about that. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, he will. It's the Acropolis this weekend. First time in eight years. I think the last WRC event that I was on was was the uh, Rally Acropolis. Oh, no, no, it was Rally Cyprus. I'm wrong. But anyway, move on. Uh, what are our listeners saying on social media? On the social uh, media. On social media. M- Mickey Heath. Now, Mickey, I need to have a proper word with you. He has decided to lay some um, flooring today. 
which in the UK has been one of the hottest days on record. And I know from laying flooring myself that it is not... Have we lost you, John? Uh, and where did we get to there, Tim? Uh, you were talking about Michael Heatherington's laminate floor. Uh, <laughs> yes, lots of people talking about that this evening. Uh, and <laughs> I do like the hammer of redemption in the pry bar of... Uh, what did I say? The pry bar of... Uh, hammer of vengeance in the pry bar of, of redemption. Colonel says, uh, no news at all for RC Racing, giving them a week off. Pop of orange smoke at the beach resort. Uh, Blue Fiend listening live from the Porsche Workshop 991 dash replacement. Uh, I, I kind of, I really kind of need you and your talent. I wish you were in, in Europe, Blue Fiend. I really do. Uh, and the uh, the work looks good. Brody is working on a friend's camper van. Now, how many windows is that? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine, oh, that's lovely. That is absolutely lovely. And I love the wheels on that, Brody, as well. The Slow Zone Gin has finally been opened. Uh, Wicker Bill. With us tonight, Matthew Heinemann. Potential question for Nick and Tim on the F1 silly season. Oscar Piastri, lead, uh, Piastri leading the F1 championship, going to win back-to-back F3 and F2 championship. F2 championship, not the F1 championship. Uh, yeah, sorry. Maybe one day. Why is nobody talking about him getting an F1 seat next year? I'll tell you why. Because F2 has done nothing this year so far. Terrible, terrible calendar. Right turn lovers for all the usual reasons as EFAs tonight. Uh, Jack is with us. RC Racing, is he going to do the team by team in orange? He will be in orange. Cessoir. Uh, and Dave Alcock says, uh, hello and welcome. As does Chris Suku uh, and so many other people. At Specutainment, if you'd like to get in touch with us here at the show. Uh, Victor Ellis, standard issue Wednesday on the road to pick up number two daughter Jenna and her teammate uh, Emma, Emma Lynn from pre-season workouts. Hello to Shea from the Lady Spartans lacrosse team. Let's move on and have the top story. Tim, shut your papers. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Well, we start this week by introducing our Formula One correspondent, Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick. Good evening, Tim. Good evening, John. Good evening, everybody. Uh, and that means that we're going to talk about Formula One. Hooray! Boing, 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 boing. I'm Dutch and mad. Excellent. Uh, now, you weren't in uh, Zandvoort, of course, because you were in Barcelona, as we all know. Uh, but exactly. I'm sure you've had a chance to watch it and will be giving us your team-by-team guide to the Dutch Grand Prix later in the show. Certainly will. Very exciting. But well. first, we've got some Formula One news. And, uh, John, I, I'm going to invite you now to don your international not-surprised face. 
as we reveal that Valtteri Bottas has signed for Alfa Romeo Sauber Orlan. Which I said, I don't know, is it five weeks ago, six weeks ago, so that was going to happen? Yeah. I mean, uh, I we've been saying, talking about this for two months almost. I mean, when, I, when, I, when it first came, yeah, when I first said it, love, or when I first worked it, yeah, well, I wasn't that exclusive. Anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really all the it's the only option he's got. All the top middle middle midfield teams have uh, have got drivers. So realistically, it was the only place he could go. There is a theoretical chance they're on the way up. They have got some decent investment from Longberg Capital. They are out of the shadow of Ferrari. Stelliantis, who own Alfa Romeo, have put a bit more backing for the next couple of years. Um, so he's got a chance being up with the mobile team, and obviously he's a very good driver for them to be able to pick up uh, with Kenny Raikkonen retiring. And who do we think his teammate would be? Oh, that's a good question because I thought it was going to be Callum Eilat, and now I don't think it's. Uh, now it seems that, that people are mentioning everyone but Callum Eilat, and Callum Eilat's gone off the test IndyCar, which makes you think, hmm, don't know. Um, there's a kind of there's Nick De Vries, and then there's Theo Porcher, uh and a couple of other rookies, uh, and Huang Yinzhou, who is F1's favourite because he's from China and be good for our audience numbers. So it's all a bit um, up in the air at that point. I think there's a kind of a bidding war going on who, who can buy their seat for the best. And of course, you know, not all that billionaire fathers. Uh, well, following on from the news that uh, Valtteri Bottas is going to Sauber was the news that... Uh, Alpha Tauri have re-signed <laughs> both Yuki Tsunoda and Pierre Gasly. Yeah, um, one was one is unlucky to have to stay with the junior team, and I think one's quite lucky to get another season. To be honest, um, Tsunoda absolutely is fat as to deceive. Um, good at the start of the year, uh, and then not, and lots of mistakes. And Gasly's looked really strong, and by far much much stronger than Perez has looked in the Red Bull. But obviously. He's, not only did he get sacked from, well, demoted from Red Bull, he also blotted his copybook. There's people who don't want him back. So he just has to work out his contract to the McLaren or a Ferrari or a uh, Alpine gig comes available and he can move out of AlphaTauri. But he's a very, very good driver, as evidenced by his fourth place this week. I still think that he uh, would favour staying at AlphaTauri over going back to Red Bull. Well, he keeps saying he wants to go to Red Bull. Yes, but that's because it's the politically the best thing to do. But I'm he'll, sure he'll be do, happier. He'll do better he as a lead be. driver at AlphaTauri and be happier than he would do in the second Red Bull seat. He'd definitely be happier, and it will increase his stock if he carries on doing what he's doing. So he might be able to get a nice move to a upper midfield growing team. I mean, you've got to say, you think you should certainly feel he'd be doing a better job than Danny Rick's been doing this year. He was at McLaren. Uh, and then uh, keep that face on, John. Uh, <laughs> The news that George Russell has signed for Mercedes. That's just unbelievable, isn't it? The, the you know, I mean, <laughs> it was struck out for a long time. And in fairness to Mercedes, I think that they did want to give uh, Valtteri the chance to announce his move first. So that had to get sorted out. And that obviously, first of all, needed Kimi Räikkönen to, to retire um, officially. And that all fell into place. And yeah, I mean, I think it's an absolute no-brainer. You know, not it's not it's, it's not what Lewis wants. Let's be honest about this. Lewis would much rather have Valtteri there because he doesn't not not for that he's particularly frightened of uh, George. It's just it's going to be less easy to to get the the results he wants because obviously he George would be up and thrusting and trying to prove stuff. Whereas Valtteri was happy to be well sometimes happy wasn't happy this weekend um, to be used more as a tactical pawn. So yeah, it it it'll make Lewis's job more difficult. I think he'll probably enjoy the challenge as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's the right thing to do. 
uh, George deserves it. It'd be nice to see him in a car next year, which is a Mercedes that fits him. I'm sure they'll have already factored that into the design, make it a couple of inches longer and a little bit wider so they can fit in the, the lanky man uh, from Kings Lynn. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think I think it's what we all expect, and it's going to give another free son to 2022 as we have a, a, a plethora now of young drivers. What, George at 23 at um, uh, Mercedes? You've got Max at 23 at Red Bull. You've got Charlotte 23 at Ferrari. And Lando, I think he's 22, isn't he, at, at, um, at McLaren? So you've Still got a real be. generation of young guns coming up who, th- you know, if things go well, will be the... Uh, people will be talking about for the next seven or eight years in F1. So we're looking at a empty Williams seat. And last week I said Alex Albon would take that. And I was right. Yes. Uh, basically, it's, it's, it's really weird because I don't remember Mercedes and Red Bull getting married. Do you? No. But they are literally arguing over every tiny minutiae of detail, like the world's most petty divorcing couple, aren't they? Mm. You know, we've got you know, what they've split the record collection, but now Red Bull want to have a look inside the engine plenum of Mercedes. And Mercedes don't want to, apparently, also, I think one was complaining about the length of tyre blanket duration on the other. And then don't forget the Mercedes don't want Alex Albon in their car, in a car which has their engine, which I didn't think they're actually allowed to dictate anyway, um, because they, he might take engine secrets back, which is, sounds a little bit unlikely given the fact the engines are frozen for the next few years. So what secrets are you going to take back they can use? Um, no, it's just petty. They, 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 it's it's all got very very silly. Um, Alex Albon in a Williams is not going to break any Mercedes secrets, but you now Toto's playing a bit of a power game. Yeah, they're all roughly for this. There is another. There is a, obviously another point that uh, that uh, Red Bull do have four of their own seats, and they wanted to give Alex Albon a drive. They could have done. They could have replaced Yuki Tsunoda, but they decided they would have placed him with somebody else. Which you know, cash wise, is fine. Replacing um, Yuki Tsunoda doesn't uh, help their negotiations uh, with. Uh, Honda about stealing a load of Honda engineers to uh, work on their in-house engines, though, does it? Well, they have already agreed that Honda will build the engines in Japan next year, so they aren't having to build the engines in Milton Keynes next year. They're being built for them. Um, and I'm pretty certain they want to steal some Honda engineers and just pay them a large amount of money like the ones they stole from uh, um, Mercedes. Mercedes. No, I mean, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, I haven't got a down on Yuki Snow. I mean, I think he's really had a very poor last few races he's not doing an awful he's lot but really doesn't poor mean season nick apart from bahrain where he'd done four billion miles in testing before the season started yeah yeah so but you know you got perhaps he's decided not to be too ruthless and give him the second season but then if you're going to give someone the second season i mean let's be honest perez hasn't done much really um if if you're really honest about this he got a win in baku where he was he was good he, you know, he inherited the win but he was going to be second to the backing up job that's the only time i can remember him doing the backing up job properly um, did it a little bit in France, but it was a long way off. Um, so yeah, Red Bull again—they have two very, very good drivers, but they've but obviously one of which they they love with all their heart, and the other which is absolutely the uh, the un, the unwanted adopted child, isn't he, poor Pierre? Uh, where is Fernando Alonso not going? Um, anywhere he's staying with Alpine. Where was he? Where, where was he rumored to be going? Oh no, there's, there's, yeah, there's, there's also, well, yes, remember there's someone because Lawrence Stroll and Flavio Briatore had lunch on holiday. This is two very rich, slightly overweight men having lunch on holiday somewhere in Crete or Corfu. Um, someone saw them and decided that was because um, uh, Lawrence Stroll was going to uh, 
put a bid in for Fernando Alonso and fire Sebastian Vettel, which, which actually elicited the very rare thing when a silly rumour goes round of an absolutely vehement denial. So, interesting. Lawrence had lunch with Flavio in Sardinia. Oh, Lawrence sorry, and Flavio I'm... are friends. They have lunched yes. together in Sardinia many times over many years. It was a social occasion, said a team statement. Well, I guess it was a big lunch. I would imagine it went on all afternoon. Yes. Hey, Lawrence. Hey, you are, you gotta have my driver, but you kind of have my canapes. Uh, Flavio manages other drivers anyway, so they could be talking about anyone. Yes, but yeah, nothing like a long-length paparazzi picture to start a silly rumor. But it's just, it's just interesting how it was slapped down. That's the interesting thing about the rumor is how it was slapped down, not the silly rumor itself. I I, I wonder whether they were doing that, uh, and they specifically said. Uh, Stroll didn't offer a drive to Alonso, whether they have offered a drive to one of Briatore's other drivers. Mm, I don't think... not. For, it wouldn't be for next year. I think they, they, they'll stick with Vettel and, and obviously they'll stick with Lance. Um, but yeah, obviously 2023, everything's back up and play for some of these things, but it's a long way away. We're just getting over the excitement of the silly season. But one thing, I, I just did, did hear something that was quite interesting. Um We've now kind of had a massive sort out of drivers, haven't we? And there's yeah. not much left available. And and normally you'd, you'd you'd expect more Formula Two drivers to be in the conversation, but someone pointed out their season's only halfway through at the moment because yes. of the ridiculous season it is. So no one knows what's going to happen. You know, Robert Schwartzman might come back from the break, revitalised, and win all twelve, not all twelve races, but win eight of the twelve races. Or somebody else might, Oscar Piastri might make up for his bad luck and win, and suddenly you go, well, he should be in Formula One, but they haven't got a chance because all the seats have decided long before their season gets even close to finishing. It's ridiculous. Yes. But it's then, a really bad design this year, the, the, F2, the, 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 the two supporting championships. It, it, it's very rarely determined by who wins the championship anyway. It's designed by who the manufacturers have already invested a huge amount of money in. Yeah, but, there's a kind of, yeah, but you've got to admit, it, it, yeah, there's a kind of a point where people like uh, Jean Zhou and, and Piastri and Porsche could do with a couple of... Yeah, if, they, if we were like at round seven now, and they'd had a couple of really excellent weekends coming up to this they'd be much more in the focus eye of do we do we take a risk on this guy at the moment you haven't got enough data to, to even think about taking that risk have you so that's why you're getting Albon being recycled back into the, not have a go at him and also um Nick DeVries who hasn't got any F1 experience either and has just done quite well in a in, in a in a high profile electric series where your success seems to depend on what, how, how badly you did the previous race and did he do okay at Le Mans as well I can't remember. That's that's gone. It was all right. He's got no, Nick's good. Nick's a good driver. And so Porsche is Sauber. Sauber. So he'll replace Giovinazzi next season. Mm, well, the thing about this is, it's, it's now being said that some of these other drivers come with cash, so you could actually get a Nick de Vries and some money. Mm. So it's you know this is the weird merry-go-round that we have because we only have ten teams, and and why don't we have more teams, Tim? That's a very long and complicated uh, not question, anymore. and we don't have time. Well, I, I'll tell you why. Because to be a team, you have to pay $200 million, $200 million entry fee, so every other team gets $20 million as a diluting fee. Yes. Because you diluted their franchise value, which is, um, I don't know why Liberty signed that. It was ridiculous, because it's always set up to be a 12-team franchise. You're going to get a franchise. So there are four seats that should be, and there's plenty of teams who want to enter now with $140 million cap. Mm. Um yeah, all right, they'll troll around the back, but they'll troll around the back with perhaps some more young drivers. But hey-ho.
Miami International Autodrome. Yes, that's a great name, isn't it? <laughs> it doesn't look like an autodrome, does it? Just looks like a track around the stadium. If you think of uh, famous autodromes, you've got Bruno. Yes, Sochi's uh, an autodrome, isn't it? Yeah, Sao Paulo. It does yeah. look a bit like Sochi, to be fair. That's not a good thing to look like. Given the fact that Sochi's actually losing the, the Russian Grand Prix in the year, the next year or the year after. Yes. What did seventy uh, percent of fans at the Dutch Grand Prix do? Travel by tr- bicycle or train. Correct. Yes. There we are. Uh, what's increased by seventeen percent over the last year? Um, <laughs> the F one's audience. Specifically, America. No, young people. Oh, young people. Young people like F- Formula One now. Yes. Uh, young people are, or the young audience for Formula One is growing faster than football. Yes, because it's coming from from a lower starting point. Uh, it's the second fastest growing sport on social media. Yes, and that's because they, for many years, they ignored social media, and now they're finally picking up, so they're doing a lot of catching up from before. And what are 41% of 3 to 18-year-olds doing? Going to school. Um, I'd hope that more than 41% <laughs> yeah, of 3 point, to 18-year-olds yeah. yeah. going to school. Uh, Even actively, uh, accounting act- for the fact that in some in many countries you can leave school aged 15 or 16 and don't start till 5 or 6. Are they actively connecting a Panini sticker album? Oh, if only they were. I'd have more people to swap with. Mm. Uh, no, they're engaging with e-sports, specifically e-motorsports. Are they? Yes. They're the little monkeys who are beating me all the time, are they? Yes. Uh, back to the social media thing. Uh, what platforms are they primarily using? Twitch, I assume. No. Oh, uh, Instagram? Instagram is number one. TikTok is number two. And YouTube is number three. Oh, okay. I thought because it's gaming, you've cross-referenced my gaming question. I thought it must be Twitch for gaming, but you've then gone back to general, uh, general social. General social, as it's called, of course. Yeah. Uh, and we spoke about Qatar last week, didn't we? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that pretty much covers all the Formula 1 news, unless there's anything I've forgotten. No, nothing much happened this week. I mean, we'll talk about the race in the uh, team-by-team guide to the uh, Dutch Grand Prix, which comes up later on. But for now, uh, we'll say goodbye to Nick Damon. Uh, um, Don't even. Don't. Just don't. Don't, don't, don't. Uh, Nick Damon, our Formula One correspondent, he'll be back with us in the second half of tonight's programme. That, um, that international not surprised face that uh, you were using <laughs> earlier, don't discard it. You will need it again later in the show. Are you sure? Absolutely certain. Mm. Is that mainly a Williams thing? No. Oh? Are you sure? No, we've done the Williams thing. Oh, did so you? There's did no more Williams thing. Okay. That all sounds good. Uh, where would you like to go next? Well, as we've got rid of Nick, I think it's a good idea to talk about the World Rally Championship. Right. Excellent. Uh, because we know what Nick thinks about the World Rally Championship. The, it is the Acropolis Rally it is. this but weekend, that, is we it not? some rally news. And this is where you'll need your international not surprised face again. Okay, hang on. Let me just... I'll, I'll put it down over... Oh, hang on. Where did I put it down? Oh, yeah, I've got it. No, it's fine. Thank you. I've got it here. 
The World Rally Championship event in Japan, due to take place in November, has been cancelled. Organisers announced on Tuesday. You, you're spot on. We've been talking about this not happening for months. We have. Along with the Formula One Japanese Grand Prix not happening. Uh, the Correct. The FIA World Endurance Championship at Fuji not happening. And MotoGP also not going to Japan. Uh, and... and um the very consti himself, uh, Ben Constantius, um, was kind of suggesting that this might not happen, and we might then have to go back to Monza for a. Um, I enjoyed the Monza rally last I did year as well. Hmm. I think the weather, if it had been more consistent, might have been. Uh, better. Oh no! I quite liked. I, I quite liked the fact that there was ice when they got out of the. When they got away from the circuit and there was ice, I thought that was mega. I, I thought that worked really, really well. But anyway, I, you know, I'm I'm an odd person. I really am. Would you like some tweets before we move on? Well, we're only moving as far as Greece, so uh, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you can do the Greece thing first. I thought you were finished with that. No, uh, we are going to do the uh, return of the Acropolis Rally after an eight-year break. Yes. Uh, it's a fixture with a historic reputation as one of the toughest in the FIA World Rally Championship. Very punishing rough. rocky tracks in the mountains yes. north of Athens and blistering midsummer temperatures, establishing the Rally of the Gods as a WRC classic. When was the first uh, Rally of the Gods, Acropolis Rally, Declan Brennan? Oh, in 51. Amazingly, according to... Fifty-one AD. I like the. I like fifty-one AD. Nineteen fifty-one. Uh, Petros Peratikos won in a Fiat, and uh, and according to the list I have, he was both driver and co-driver. Excellent. Which is, uh, so maybe he was twins, or there were two of him, or uh, he he just drove on his own. Or he he taped the map, the pace notes to the steering wheel. I don't know, but maybe uh, he was doing it in a single seater. We've all. Uh, there's there's just no point in even attempting that, is there? <laughs> Really, let's be honest. We've all done that, though, when we've been on a long journey. All right, p- possibly we we've haven't all, all done that. We've all won the Acropolis Rally in no, 1951. No, 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 but we've, we've all... Have you not come... Declan, d- d- mm, I'm not old enough to have done anything in 1951. Don't. You know, you know, and you have probably done this. I'll be very surprised if you haven't done this, where you were on a long journey and you have written out your route and stuck it so it was just on the dashboard or on the windscreen. And it was just, you know, A14 to A421 with a little... And then some ketchup and then a big bit of coffee. Yes, exactly. Uh, And We've all done that. Yes. Normally the ketchup always came at the key exit from the the M62. It was always (laughs) with the ketchup. That's where the ketchup was. So M18 for me, mate. Always the M18. That was where the ketchup was. Absolutely. Abs- Hello, Declan. How are you, fella? I'm very good. I'm very excited. Uh, in brackets, not really. Uh, but no, vaguely excited about the idea that the Acropolis Rally is back because, and it's made me. It's given me a a, a bit of inspirational uh, uh, thinking regarding uh, World Rally Championship events. So. It's back after eight years, as you said, and it is. It predates the World Championship by mm. by literally three decades. Mm. It was always a a 
uh, a significant event. Uh, obviously, became very significant in the early seventies when when what became the World Rally Championship uh, was kind of in, in its in its formative. Uh, iteration before it really became the full drivers championship in in 79 and all that but we had but by the mid 70s all of the major marquee events were there and the acropolis was one of them and it was effectively a mini raid rally it was an endurance event it was excellent excellent dex because it was always it was always ridiculously uh tough in terms of suspension travel big rocks you know, you, you you look at the fast rallies, even in the 80s and 90s, the Acropolis was also always rather a rough rally, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, God, it was a car breaker. Yes. And in 73, it was 800 stage kilometers. 800. <laughs> it's now just it's it's now uh, just for full accuracy. It is. Uh, a, 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 a whopping 292 oh, on 15 goodness. stages. It used to have 40 plus stages. Yeah, uh, they are kind of. There's a nod this year to to its past, insofar as they've brought Tarzan and Pyrgos back, and which gives the basically the finale is effectively 33 kilometers of special stage, uh, which is a nod to its past. But it just made me think. And I, and I wish we had Ben on to talk about this because he knows far more about this than I do. But it feels like WRC ha- has completely abandoned its roots in terms of there there are no ext- long events really no, on no, anymore. No, no. They don't they don't say okay we're going to do a dozen sprint Dex. events, but let's put in four like proper old old multi stage you know like five day events. You know why? Because we have gone to the We've gone to the cartwheel where you, you have a single um, rally park in the middle. Yes. And then you go out on the spokes. In yeah. the old days, you used to nip out, do a bit over here. I'm, I'm pointing now, which I know doesn't really work on radio. And then you would go up there, still pointing. And then you would go up there. And you would move the service park around. And it happened on Rally GP. It happened everywhere. We had a ridiculous situation in Rally Ypres, which I actually thought Rally Ypres worked really well. Um, and I, I quite like Rally Ypres. But they had to get up half an hour before they went to bed on one of the days because they had 260 kilometres to drive to the start of the first stage. And that was more than the stage miles of that day, or the stage kilometres of that day. And it's like, hmm, okay. And that was the right. that was one of the days when they took in Spa Frankenstein as, and by the way, Spa Frankenstein as a rally stage, in round the back of the pits and through the the rallycross stage. Yes, yes, it was as a tarmac rally stage. It would be just sensational. Or or you know what they could do, you know what they could do. They could combine it with the bits of the track used in the twenty four hour race for a. Uh, for for the Ducheveau, which is mm. the service roads, so you you bring in some of the service roads. <laughs> By the way, just as an as a, as a side as an aside, uh, the brilliant I spend a lot of time with the brilliant Till Bechtelsheimer, who has done that event. He said, with the uh, 
with the speed uh, and, and relative uh, lack of speed differential uh, in a 2CV, it might take you 20 minutes to set up a passing move on yes. somebody, even though even though you're directly behind them. But uh, which is just absolutely... Just sure 20 minutes. Yeah. You're literally behind them, setting up, outbreaking them for 20 minutes. <laughs> that would be fantastic. Anyway, sorry, we digress. I do, uh, I do like what Wickerbills just uh, tweeted in to spec your team and... Peasants, he says, back in the day, rich people had dot matrix printers where you could print out route maps and directions from the AA. Didn't always work, though. In 1995, I managed to find Santa Pod instead of Silver. No, I, I, always, I always found in the early 2000s, MapQuest, when you printed them out, for some reason... I almost feel like it was a, a, a it was a ploy by them to get you to pay for something extra. MapQuest <laughs> always seemed to lose out. They would deliberately not print out one of the key turns, one of the junctions. <laughs> so I'd, I'd inevitably get lost using a printout from MapQuest. So uh, I always uh, used to use the one to whatever it was, fifty thousand or twenty five thousand um, Land Ranger series of of the maps in the UK when we were chasing rallies around because I'd used them for road rallies. That was my that that dear listener was my invo- original involvement in motor racing. I was a rally co-driver in road rallies when road rallies actually happened. And when you had to you had to get between points at a at a uh, an average speed below that of the speed limit. Correct. Or, uh, yes. Correct. Exactly Which meant so. driving really fast uh, and then working out when to drive really slowly to, to get over the line. <laughs> well, yes, and, and that means you had to have a variety of different watches. Now, when you did... Oh, God, God. speed cameras, though. No, well, that's very true, Tim. That's very true. This is, oh, yeah. And this that's is before, before the, days of the average speed camera. That's bef- Who was a rally core driver? Gatsa DDs. Was Gatso comes from Gatso DDs? He was a rally co-driver, and he invented the John speed Todd. camera. Oh, don't, don't even go there. Um, that's even before we get. To, I'm sorry, I've gone off on a complete tangent. Oh, it is midweek motorsport. Um, plot and bash, plot and bash. You used to get a part of the route before you started, and then the rest of the route just before you started. So you had a bit of the route, and then as you got into the car, you were still plotting the route as you co- <laughs> as your driver was flying around Northumberland, and you were still going, hang on, 125.254, that's over here, uh, approach from the west, uh, oh, that means we have to go around there, and, uh, oh, left here, left, left, left at the church with the spire. Um, and, that's all churches, yes. as the driver shouts at, shouts at you, that's all churches. <laughs> so, can just, I just say that, just just to pull this back, even even mod- in a remote way to the actual event, uh, the the uh, directions directions for uh, to simplify this uh, no end but the the co-driver is going to have a massive job here because the acropolis traditionally what is the traditional problem the two problems of the acropolis is crowds because they're mm-hmm. nutters mm-hmm. and dust so uh y- you you are very reliant on your co-driver here because there will be times when you're not quite driving blind but you're going to be driving through through uh Dust hanging in the air from from the people Correct. in front of you. They don't. Absolutely they don't. Right. They don't wet the stages. No. They. And uh, and we have a uh, OGA obviously uh, looking to to uh, extend his lead, uh, even though Evans is looking for for an, a, another win to claw back some 
some air. It's not 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 a, not, not an uh, uh, an insurmountable lead, but it, this probably is the key rally this weekend with only three yeah, to I go. Agree. I, I think Evans probably needs Auger to have a little bit of air. Uh, a little bit Bad of it. Luck. I suppose Evel and Neuville will be the same. They both need Ogier to, to come a cropper and come a cropolis in some in some respect. Kaching, <laughs> kaching. Dave Alcock says, um, "Ah, I remember it well. After enduring ten minutes of screeching noise from the printer, the banging noise as the print head travelled back with resolution so bad, eight pins could cover a decent sized town. Early Commodore and Sequoia printer owner here." Have having lost to prove it. Yes, we've all done that. Uh, getting up half an hour before they go to bed, says uh, says Alan Prosser. Did they eat a handful of hot gravel before they, they went to They the all lived in a lake. <laughs> yeah, all shoebox, mate, in the riddle of the road, obviously. Uh, Rob Chalmers, 20 minutes to set up an overtaking two CVs. Was the other class in the class below? Rob, <laughs> excellent. Rob Chalmers, I'm, we're going to get Till on soon, and we will discuss <laughs> We will discuss how difficult it is to overtake people in 24-hour two 2CV racing. Uh, which remember, Absolutely. which remember... Uh, the latest member of George Russell. Yes, exactly. You were there. You you read my mind, Brennan. You read me mind. Fantastic. Um, not not sure there's going to be that much dust this weekend, says Jack Martin. Judging from the photo I've seen, uh, unbelievable mud from the recce. Ah, uh, so it has been raining. Uh, so that will make a that'll make a significant difference. If, if 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 that absolutely will, I, I know rocks have always caused problems of the path. Rocks being put, uh, as oh, we probably well. don't have time to discuss, rocks being put into the oh, into man. the path of stages in the past. But yes, uh, uh, Brody Volstenholm says I used to navigate and plot and plot and bash. The clues were encoded and could be fiendishly difficult to unravel. To then plot on the US map. Yes, while you were being thrown around down a country road at one o'clock in the morning. That was the other thing. Uh, I will say, sorry, that Jeff, always, go ahead. that's always baffled me about, uh, and uh, I, I know this is kind of a reductive thing to say, but but the mere act of reading your pace notes mm. in a rally car seems to be almost impossible, let alone, you know, keeping up, not losing your place. Like, if it was me, I'd be at the top of the page and I'd tell him, you know, K. Wright, don't cut 150 into S's, and then there'd be a bump of the road, and I'd just read the same thing out again, and we'd crash. Yeah, but you know, Dex, Dex, remember when I was there was no pace notes in the in the in the level of rallying that I was doing. You were reading it from an OS map, so yes, with a with a either oh, a cur- useless then. either a curter <laughs> calculator as Chris Suku is just met, oh god, he's got one that's in still in this leather case. Fantastic, Chris, or a potty which had a little light on it and P O T T I, and you would move it down the map and it had a. Uh, um, a magnifying glass and a oh yes, so, and you, li- so you kept your place. Yes. Yeah, and you could move. Yeah, but, and- but John, but then you're you're ruling out of uh, one sharp turn or a bump, and then suddenly you, you, you've moved. You, the, the 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 magnifying glass has moved thirty kilometers to the left. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. But also, you had to decide because things weren't always quote unquote as map, and you know if you were very good and you'd had a bit of. Um, Hang on, what's what's the word I'm looking for? And um, alcohol, recceing, no, oh, right. and recceing, <laughs> or indeed Uh-oh. cheating. You would go and drive what you thought might be the route, and you would mark up your maps as not as map. 
So you would you would come to a place because because those one uh, to twenty five thousand maps were a particular scale. You could have a left and a right, and it and it wouldn't show on the map. So you would you would make a little mark next to it in pen, not in the pencil that you were doing the the. I have an idea, John. Oh, I have man. an idea. World Rally Championship uh, uh, co-drivers should be given maps I agree. for each stage. But they should be given maps for each stage that are designed by the blokes who designed the maps of theme parks, which are all <laughs> – and where, where nothing is to scale or or, uh, or, or really accurately uh, relevant to each other. So uh, – oh, because you go, oh, look, the cafe is just here. It's right beside the bouncy house. Oh, no, that's actually a mile away. Uh, you know, uh, that's that's, that's what they need to do. That would be, I would watch rallying if that was the case. James O'Donnell says, I remember buying actual maps, usually out of date. There's a joy in getting lost. I could tell, James, I can tell you, we were doing a, um, a, a, a friend of mine, I was the co-driver, and a friend of mine, we had rebuilt a, a Vauxhall Chevette, which was a little... Dex, you know what that is, but our international listeners might not. It oh, was Americans little... know what that is as well. They they sold them. Uh, they were sold no them in the US as well. Slightly different, yeah. It was a, she- I think it was a Chevrolet Chevette. Yeah, probably. So it was a little three door hatchback, and it had the pre um so the pre cross floor, uh, twelve fifty six Viva HB engine in it, uh, which was pants, and you couldn't tune it up. So we swapped. So this is the only. Possibly my only engineering claim to fame is I did an engine swap on a Vauxhall Chevette to put a 1300 Ford Crossflow in it. And so it's a Ford engine Chevette. Yeah, but you see, then you end up with this thing which I'm a huge fan of, which is uh, automotive ventriloquism, where the car <laughs> coming towards you doesn't sound like the car that appears. Correct. Correct. It's like... Uh, Guy Smith was telling me once that uh, he was on a rally with a guy who had a V8 in a Mark II Escort. And it was like the most fantastic. So, so you, you're hearing this thing and it comes around the corner and it's not the car you expect. No, exactly right. <laughs> and, and the reason we did that was because there was more tuning parts. There were far more tuning parts for a cross-flow 1300cc Ford engine than there ever was for 1256. Tim, Tim, you may need to rescue us from going down this rabbit no, no, hole. I, I, I'm, is I'm there, t- is I, there anything spe- specific no, you need to know about the Acropolis? And it, and I, I don't think there is. Um, no. And, but and I, I need, I need my, to go back uh, to I Twitter. To, I need to go back to my MapQuest story. All right, um, go, go. So this dates back about a quarter of a century. The first time I ever went to Alton Park and uh, printed out the uh, route on MapQuest and uh, in colour, because uh, in the office Excellent. there was a colour printer. It wasn't very good. I but... guarantee you there was wrong turns in it, but carry on. I'm anyway, not reading the story, I hope. But so, somewhere in Cheshire, um, a road that we should have been uh, going on according to this route was closed. So I looked at the uh, MapQuest thing that I'd printed out and thought, well, if we carry on up here, we can join the motorway and go, it looks longer, but it's motorway, so it'll be faster. Yep. Anyway, 20 minutes later, I realised that that wasn't a motorway, it was a river. (laughs) (laughs) And all my passengers drowned. Um, So. Well, but that's uh, in in fairness. Once when I was out doing a real world road test with a Land Rover Discovery, I tried to follow something on the sat nav, which was in fact not a a track or a road or you know a green lane. 
it what it was in fact a contour line that I was trying to follow. So you know we've all we've all done that. Uh, this from Rob Chalmers says I've been a time controller on a twelve car rally. Oh, twelve cars! See that's what happened when road rallies in the UK got stopped. I remember getting bored waiting for the cars to come up to the check, so I wandered down the road and offered them a brew while they were waiting. Yes. Excellent stuff. Howling at Declan's brilliant improvement for WRC. Only use maps drawn by theme park matters. Can you imagine Rally Fridland drawn by Disney with frozen graphics all over it? Says Dan. But yeah. nothing would be to scale. That's the important Nothing to scale. Part. Nothing. <laughs> nothing to scale. Or anything remotely I've, to I've got to tell you, me, me, final, me final road rally story. So we're up in Northumberland during... During a road rally, long before 12 cars, so it was still 40, 50 cars, started at one minute after midnight, and, and we were you know, a long time after that in this 1300 Ford engine Chevette, and we're tonking down this road, and I'm calling to um, my, my driver, another John, uh, to call it my driver where we're going, and we're doing all right. And then it's you know left over the over the bridge, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm checking for the telephone box on the left. Yeah, there it is. Yes, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then I, all of a sudden, I realised that we were on a parallel road to the road that we were meant to be. Somehow we got on the parallel road, and I just got to the sharp left on our road, which was a sharp right on the road I thought we were on. And I'm just thinking. That could have been horrible. Although, in fairness, the first time we had, went out and did a, um, a rally, we ended up in up to our knees in water in North Yorkshire. But that was a whole other whole other story. And before we put the Ford uh, engine in that in that Chevette, um, <laughs> uh, rally rally stories are us. Uh, Tim, where would you like to go to next? Uh, well, I'll just tell you that uh, Sebastian Ogier leads the WRC by 38 points from his teammate, Elvin Evans. He uh, does. Do we still have uh, Declan with us? I think we do. You still there, Dex? Oh, no? Okay, I'll get him back in a sec. Carry on. Uh, we will, when uh, Declan returns, move uh, to the other side of the uh, Atlantic, uh, mm-hmm. his side of the Atlantic, because we're going to talk about IndyCar. Ah, IndyCar, Dex, IndyCar. Where are they yes. this weekend? They're uh, uh, Portland. And oh. It's a shame that your name isn't Bill, because then I could say they're in Portland, Bill. Uh, and so we could do shipping forecast jokes. But but they are at Portland International Raceway. I uh, love Portland. I, I loved going me there. Too, John. Oh, me I too. loved it when we went there with the ALMS. I loved the city. I loved the fact that we could get on the tram and go down. From yeah, the track in the fifteen minutes. Oh, just it was the Royal you know, City Grand Prix as it was in those days. GTP went there. Yeah. IndyCar, you know the the great days of kart were there. Obviously, it's back in a long absence, uh, and uh, of for many years, and then was came back. I'm going to say in 2019, 2018. I was there, having been off the calendar for for several years. And and always lost to COVID last year, but it is back. It is back, and it's a uh, it's a it's a part of the American continent that's that's sadly underserved by by motorsport for the for the most part. And uh, this is a yeah, uh, it's a it's a great event. 
it has historically produced some absolutely amazing finishes oh, yeah. uh, in its old days as the uh, as the brilliantly named G.I. Joe's 200. But that's that's probably showing my age, in fairness. A little. Uh, I am going to quiz you on your knowledge <laughs> of Portland, though, Declan. This is something that we'd normally do with Shay, but uh, Shay not with us uh, on the show this week as she's heading in a southwesterly direction in the words of Joe yeah, so you've got a guest who's done no preparation and uh, at all compared to the, 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 the hours and hours that she's done all i've read is the daily mirror book of facts uh, so uh, <laughs> the observer <laughs> book the observer <laughs> book of portland have you uh, have you done that thanks talk set up radio usa all right well uh, yeah so uh, the reigning champ is will power he is uh, from 20 from 2019 are you, are you playing answering the question after the one that's before I ask? <laughs> <laughs> We've had that's two Monty Python references that we've had already this evening. You're very good. Monty Python. Uh, since 2008, the driver who's led the championship with three races to go, because we have three races to go, has won the championship eight times. Oh, Can wow. you name them? Since 2008. Yes. So that's since the that's effectively since the merger. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's Scott Dixon is one of them. Scott Dixon's actually three of them. I was well, I was, gonna, I was about to say he's multiples of them, but yes. uh, Dario is one of them. He is twenty eleven. Oh, so that's four, right? Okay, so I've got to get other championship winners in. Then uh, Ryan Hunter Ray is one of them. No, incorrect. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, wow. Okay. So I've got. Dixon, uh, Dario, uh, Power. Will Power, 2014, yep. Yeah, right. Okay, so that's I've now got five of the eight. I've got three more to get. Leaders of the championship. Uh, leaders with three to go and won the championship. Uh, let me see. We. That's a long time ago. That's 13, 13 blooming years. Uh I'm going to have to the say... The ones you haven't yet are wow, more this, recent, this though, is, the 2016 I know, this is, this is pretty tough. Uh, Joseph Newcastle is uh, another uh, two. Yes, John? Yes. Oh, wow. Very good. Yeah. And I didn't and look that up. Forward. Sorry, I'm too busy trying to close other things. Uh, I'm going to give up. You're going to have to tell me. Uh, and I'm going to be very annoyed is, when you uh, do. Simon Paginot. Oh, of course it is. Of course it is, yes. Ah. Uh, in 2016. But so so what you're saying is uh that the championship is currently being led by uh by uh, uh Pato. It is. And are you are you saying to me even though it's only a very very slim yes. uh, 10 point lead. In fact, it, it, it the, the there's 22 points between the top 3. Yes. So uh are you saying uh, you would you would be confident that Pato award is going to win the title? No, I'm saying there's a 60% probability based on uh, historic results. Um, I will say... Because this is, as you mentioned, it's a very narrow lead. It's the fourth narrowest lead at this point in the season since 2008. And don't forget, uh, because of COVID, uh, Alex Palou is kind of... Uh, he's fighting this battle with one hand tied behind his back because he's never raced there. Well, he's never raced there in in a... In an Indy car, no, he they, he wasn't there in in 2019, and they didn't race there in 2020. So uh, oh, he hasn't. I, I mean, in the big class, uh, he hasn't. So uh, yeah, so that's that's interesting. It means he's got he's uh, something I'm 
painfully aware of in IMSA GT racing. Uh, he's got uh, probably a session and a bit to to do some catch up before he's he's where he wants to be uh, in terms of setting the car up. Okay, and, next question. Which means, oh, okay, oh, blimey. Go ahead. Blimey, Riley. There yes. have been 10 occasions where the winner of the Portland race has subsequently won the IndyCar Series Championship in the same season. Right. I, I'm, I'm fairly certain I'm going to get those. Go on. Ooh, are you? So uh, that's going to be Mario. Mario Andretti Steph. is incorrect. It's definitely Bobby... It's no, definitely it, Bobby. Ra- it's definitely Bobby Rahal. Bobby is correct in 1987. Oh, excellent, yep. Dex. Well it done. is. Uh, it is definitely Danny Sullivan in 1988. Yep, and it is definitely and Bourdais. In 2004 and 2007. That means you have two to guess. Uh, Willpower. No. Oh, two to guess. Hang on. Al Jr. Al Unzer Jr. in 1994. Oh, Dex. And I've one more. Outstanding. Mm-hmm. And here we go. Uh, Emerson Fittipaldi. 1989, Emerson Fittipaldi. Excellent. Declan Shay, gets... Shay, Shay Adam wouldn't have got that. No, He's she that wouldn't. Shay. He's that Shay. I'm not sure you can say that. It's <laughs> Eat my facts. Eat <laughs> my facts. <laughs> Who is the only driver that you haven't yet mentioned to have won a race at Portland from pole position? Uh, Max Pappas. Is correct. 2001. Well done. Yeah. Uh, how many of and the... the less said about him, the better right now, in, mm. in fairness. So, so, so let's carry on. Yes. How many of the <laughs> current uh, IndyCar drivers have previously raced there in IndyCar? Oh, wow. Uh, blimey. They haven't raced there uh, for a while, though, have they? So... No. It's, it's, a, it's a huge number. They raced in 2019 there. They so did, it's yes, got to be. And 2018. That's ba- so it's so going to be a basically... big number. I was going to say, that's basically asking me a lot. I, I, so I'd have to, I don't need you to I'd name say them all. 20. Just give me a number. It was 17. 20. There's, a big, there's a big entry, but I'd say 20 of them have raced there before. It's 17. Ooh. Wow, okay. okay. Uh, there are obviously four um, rookies um, yes. this, see, this weekend, but there were also okay. six other drivers who haven't previously raced at Portland. Oh, okay. Six drivers who aren't rookies but haven't raced at Portland. In, in so that's IndyCar. guys who are in their they second have, year they, for a start. A lot of them have, wa- have raced there in other series, but not in IndyCar. Well, it's going to be... Renus VK has got to be one of those. He is. Uh, so Marcus Ericsson would be another, he maybe? Is. No, he's... he's no. Yeah, no, yes, it is. no, you're yeah. right. You're right. Okay. Uh, wow. Grosjean. Ask you. Ask Grosjean. Grosjean's a rookie. Grosjean's a, okay, so Oliver Askew. Is correct, yep. Three more. Uh, Sage Karam, is no. he in this weekend? No. This is tough. Ferrucci. No, he raced there in 2018. Rosenquist. Rosenquist raced there in 2019. Oh. 
Oh, McLaughlin. No, he's a rookie as he's well. He's a rookie. This is getting hard, man. Who's this is a the lot more difficult. This is the... Oh, Pato. Pato. Pato Award. Uh, who's second yeah. to the championship? Oh, Palou. Yes. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And the other one that you probably won't guess is Dalton Kellett. Ah, Colton Dallas. Ah. Uh, Mick, Mickey Heth has just tweeted and says, don't be surprised if this show is still going on at midnight. Oh, and Alan Prosser, and Alan, you are absolutely right. I apologise. Uh, answering the question before it's a, um, asked is the two Ronnie's mastermind and not Monty Python. I did say that. You, I, yeah, I know, but I, I wanted to give due credit that came in. Uh, James O'Donnell says, the beer is fabulous in Portland. What? One of the weekends we went there in the American Le Mans series, it was the Rose City Beer Festival. And Graham Tyler and I went downtown. That's all you need to know. That is all you need to know at that point. Uh, Michael Denning says the map idea from uh, Declan is just the best. How about a tube map equivalent? The chaos that would rain down. Oh, would that would absolutely oh, that was, no, don't make do that. me watch WAC. So, the other beautiful thing about Portland is the home of the Portland Timbers MLS team, yes. who uh, who celebrate goals by chopping up massive bits of wood. Only at a, and chance and do chance like like American football teams fast. don't do. Only in American uh, soccer, or it's the only soccer uh, uh, league in the world where fans can bring axes into the stadium. It's uh, you've not been to Millwall, have you? You've never no, been to Millwall. What happened in Italy where they dropped flaming scooters on one another? <laughs> but uh, and Dil- that's and that's a fact, by the way. That's not not a euphemism or anything. That has literally happened at Juventus. Dave so, Alcock uh, says, "I'm laughing so hard about what I'm hearing." Um, I'm so happy. This is brilliant. And I thought F1 news would be the big feature tonight. I'm still interpreting the individual inputs from the GPS satellites. I remember PDAs at around the similar time as the Apple Newton with laps. Oh, my God. I had an IPAC, IPAQ. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah, I I had an IPAC. I had a Windows IPAC. I spent spent 500 quid on that. And that's going to be such an early in the 90s. In the 90s. I I bought it on a plane. Remember when you could buy electronic? <laughs> I bought I bought it on a plane. Excellent. What? Because I'm an idiot. Would you like one of these? Yes. Of yes, I would. would. Is this pretzel, a really ridiculous sir? thing to do on a plane? Yes, it is. And a pretzel. Yes. And a pretzel. <laughs> by the way, can, can I have a quick quick word about about Zandvoort? By the way. Oh yeah, you may. Go on. I, I, this and this is an old man waving a cloud, but uh, I, I my heart weeps on social media when when you read. Uh, tweets from fans and media members covering uh, the event and saying, "Hey, this place is amazing. Why didn't Formula One come here before?" No, it's it like, did. Oh my, it's like, oh, you absolute dweebs! Like it's like a YouTube Zandvoort. I'd be. It's like, yeah. It's it. Yes, it's one of the greatest tracks of the world. Yes, it is. Of course, it is. Tarzan's one of the greatest corners on earth. Oh, you mean and, uh, turn one? Turn yes. one. Yes. Yes. Obviously. They call it turn one now. Oh yes, turn one. Don't oh don't even get me started. However, back to IndyCar. In, no no no. In, in no no. I'm gonna. I am gonna. Oh please! I've only got two more questions. No no. It's fine. We're, we're oh, already on, no, in the no, second. No no I, no. I've, I've, oh, I've got. No, I've got. To, I've got to go with Dex quid. on this because because right. Nick's gonna do his vote later on and and right. and I don't interrupt. So I'm okay. gonna. Ha- so, um. 
first of all, thank God they've demolished the pit lane so I don't have to climb up two sets of of scaffolding ladders to get to the commentary box, which is what she used to have to do. Oh, oh yes. Oh, my God. You did it 24 was, hours there, didn't I, you? It was so scary. Coming down for lunch, John. No, I'll bring mine up. Thanks very much indeed. <laughs> um, but, but also, um, I always say, would, would Monaco get uh, a, a, a grade one license now? No, it wouldn't. Would Zanfort get a grade one license now? No, it shouldn't have. But I'm so pleased it did because was anybody talking about track limits? Uh, no, no, not at all. Because you were either in a wall or in the gravel trap. Now, can we just say in a wall or in a gravel trap? Can we learn from that somewhere, please? Spa, are you listening? Because you guys can't run a Grand Prix. Oh, oh no, sorry, you didn't run a Grand Prix this year. You just ran a parade behind the safety car and hang your heads in shame. And lots of other places for that. Let's Johnny, have really. If you just, look, come on. If you look at the uh, old film footage, the onboard film as opposed to video footage from from the seventies at Zandvoort, <laughs> the, the amazing thing is they're driving through corridors of uh, ribbons of tarmac yes. that are, are surrounded on both sides uh, by Armco, very yes. with like feet feet off the tarmac and it is exhilarating to watch. It is absolutely, absolutely. exhilarating. It's a it's. A, uh, Zandvoort has always been a track where you need absolute bravery and guts in the best possible way. And I love, and, uh, I actually love the fact that there's a lot of it that hasn't really changed in what they've done. And I love the fact that it's actually not fit for purpose for, for Formula One as it is now. Which, the, which is literally why it's fit for stop. purpose. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Declan, I completely agree with you. And the drivers had to adapt. The drivers had to adapt. When people tell me that Spa and Oruz and Radion needs to be changed, no, 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 the drivers just need to change. And, and the edges of the track need to change. There's nothing wrong with the track. There's nothing really wrong with the cars. Just, just get them to change their attitude. If there was gravel right up to the edge of those tracks or a, or a brick wall, then trust me, they wouldn't cut those corners. Like, like, the, uh, like the, uh, that ridiculous fast left-hander at Crystal Palace, which yes. literally, the, the apex of it had a brick wall. Yes. At Thank the you. apex of the old Crystal Palace. Thank it's you. like, John, we, we were at Rockingham, we were working at Rockingham 20 years ago now when F3 went there. Oh, don't. And I, the just had, cars, I had this conversation they, on they were, one day. So, dear listener, the F3 cars, British Formula 3 Championship, were straight lining the chicane uh, on the infield. But the problem was, the curbing was quite tall. Mm. Uh, Deliberately, so you didn't straight line the chicane. <laughs> so they kept they kept doing it and kept taking off, and then they kept complaining Catherine that Legg. they were taking off. They were complaining that they were taking off. Catherine Leg did a stand up wheelie, mm-hmm. uh, and and the response is no, drive around the chicane. But no, we want to straight line it. There but was there can. was a there was a major <laughs> figure in British motorsport who told me at that point that that made the track dangerous, and I said but the drivers need to actually stay on the track. And I asked Major Figure in British Motorsport what would happen if at the track that they were involved with, if they drove across the last chicane and their curbs, it would rip the sump and the bottom out of the car. But people don't do that because it would rip the sump and the bottom out of the car. So does that make your track unsafe as well? Answer? Oh, yes, silence. 
exactly. This, don't don't even get me started. Dex, thanks for being with us, mate. <laughs> we were going to talk uh, to Declan about motorbikes. Shall we do that in the second we, hour? We might need to bring yeah, you back I'm happy to go back. I'm, I'm not doing anything. I, I, do want to answer, I, I do want to answer those last two questions, by the way, because I'm on a roll here. But uh, but if, 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 the, if you haven't got the time, that's fine. We, we've got a guest waiting for us at the moment who's, who's on the West Coast. Dex, I'll, I'll give you a shout back in a minute. We'll, we'll come back. It's after, uh, in fact, it's nearly six minutes past nine here in the UK. Uh, let's go into the second half of tonight's show. Midweek Motorsport. Half time, and while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Well, quite clearly now, we're going to have Declan Brennan back, as well as uh, more of your chat on at Specutainment. Hello to Moni Elysium. Thank you for giving the Timbers a shout out. Bust out the chainsaw to cut a slab for every goal. It's amazing. Hang on. What about Luton Town, where there's a wood store underneath one of the stands, says Matt. I want you, Hawkins. Really? A way have to walk stuff. across someone's garden to get to Luton. Oh, yes. Yes, that is very true. That is very true. I have I have actually done that. It's, uh, coming it's up then. Palmer's favourite away trip, by the way. Uh, more, of, uh, more of the news and... Uh, and we'll be talking Mazda MX-5 next. It's Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. Tim's uh, back in business this weekend, Tim, and uh, that means also a very busy weekend for all the development series, including the Edemitsu Mazda MX-5 Cup, which has frankly given us some of the best racing we've seen in any of our Radio Show Limited or IMSA Radio coverage across the year in 2021. Delighted to say that Championship frontrunner Michael Carter is joining us now uh, from Monterey. Welcome to Midweek Motorsport, Michael. How are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on. It's good to hear your voice, sir. Uh, we've spoken to you a couple of times this year from uh, from the circuits. Uh, fair to say you're having a pretty good year. If I look at the championship, 80 points, that looks like a big gap. But with 380 points on on uh, uh, on shore for a weekend, uh, you've still got a bit of work to do this season. Yeah, 80 points isn't isn't much. You know, it's only really the difference between first and it's in between fourth and fifth place on the track. So, you know, anything can happen. It could all go away in one race uh, pretty easily. So. As, as I said, we've seen some cracking racing this year between all of you guys at the front of the field. And what do you put that down to? It's been close, but it's been respectful racing, Michael. You guys know each other pretty well. Yeah, you know, most of us have been racing together for, for nearly three years now. Uh, like, I've been racing with Celine for five years. It goes all the way back to Spec Miata. But Gresham and myself, we've been racing together for three years. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a cool deal. You know, all of us at the front of the pack seem to have uh, this sort of respect for each other. Where, where we race hard, we may even rub a little bit. But, but you know, we get out of the car and we have, uh, you know, we're, we're all cool at the end, which is a pretty cool thing. I like so. that. And that's, that's Celine Roland, who's in third position. He's 130 points behind Gresham Wagner. That's Gresham uh, that you mentioned there, who's in second. Now, of the top three, and I've been calling all of your names a lot this season in 
in our live audio and visual coverage. Uh, I, I think Celine is, is the only one who's actually had a victory at what is now WeatherTech Raceway, Laguna Seca. Does that give him a bit of a, a mental advantage coming in here, Michael? Uh, you know, I, I don't really look at it that way. I know when we were here two years ago, Celine was fast. And uh, he had a mechanical failure in the first race that unfortunately cost him the championship that year, I think. And then, uh, <clears throat> you know, he came back in that second race and, uh, you know, he was just determined to win. And, uh, you know, the circumstances were different for me in that, in that second race where, you know, I was racing for rookie of the year. I wasn't racing for a championship. Uh, and that was the final weekend of, of the series. So we, we come here being the second to last or penultimate, you know, weekend of the championship. So I think, uh, I think anything is, can still happen. And, uh, you know, I don't really look at it like Celine has, uh, an advantage, but, you know, I, I know he'll be fast and I know Gresham will be fast and I know hopefully, you know, I'll be up there too. So I'm just, you know, taking it as we go, uh, into this weekend. You mentioned there something that, again, we also have been talking about this season in the Edemitsu Mazda MX-5 Cup. Uh, that you guys are in there and have been in there for quite a long time. You've come up through the Rookie Championship, as you mentioned. Uh, we've got former champions uh, in, in staying in the championship. There's actually quite a bit of folding filthy Luca money we're not talking about you know having to buy your way back into another championship and only using credits for that this is real folding money that's been been committed by Mazda is so in that case does the MX-5 championship become a if you like a means to an end or is it is it an end in its own right now for me you know I kind of look at it as that this is this is kind of it for me um it's kind of funny to say that, but, but, but it's a great series and, and you're right. The, the, the payout, the payout is, is something pretty special in, in, in motorsport. I don't, I don't know if any series where, you know, the percentages of what it actually costs to run mm. versus what you could potentially win. I mean, I don't know what other series pays that, that kind of, uh, money. Mm. Um, so for me, it's uh, you know, it's a great deal if if you continue to win. Yes, and even you know, second, third, it, it's still you know a good portion of the season. Um, it, it covers your cost, and and you know, for me, that's uh, there's not many series that you can do that. Even even you know, in circle track racing or or other forms of sports car racing, for sure that there's there's just no other form of racing like even nascar you know the, yeah. the prize money versus the cost never the, the prize money is never higher than what it actually takes to run <laughs> so it's uh it's truly an incredible incredible thing and mazda's uh you know willing to pay all that 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 money and it, it's a great deal I think. And as I said, it doesn't have to stay in the championship if you wanted to. You, you know, I think there's something over $500,000 of real money every year yeah. in, in the prize fund, of which half goes to the champion. Points paying down to 10th in the overall championship. There's a rookie uh, of the year championship and various other awards uh, as well. Uh, there will be people, however, who still, even having heard that, Michael, will think, 
Yeah, but this is a you know this is a stepping stone, isn't it? Really, all these all these people must be thinking, I want to be in um, Michelin Pilot Challenge, or I want to be in 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 WeatherTech. But the reality is, if you were to move up to that, you'd have to find more money. For sure, for sure. You know, I'm you know, even you know, I'm 21 years old. I I would still you know I have aspirations of still being you know that top level professional race car driver and, and there's a lot of uh you know younger kids in the series which um like sam paley chris noons there's luca mars you know they're all 18 19 i think luca's 15 you know obviously they don't want to you know be a career mx5 cup driver um they have aspirations of moving up but the reality is that that it does take money it's you know it's uh that's a huge factor in in moving up nowadays um and and sure the the mx5 cup prize money would definitely supplement a a a good portion of whatever it would take and and you you could go out and find uh the other sponsorship dollars to make it happen yeah so if you look at it that way i mean it's a it's a great it is it's a great stepping stone to to get partial funding for you know whatever your next step is and uh or just keep on running MX5. Uh, yeah, but, well, yeah, I know, I like that. I like that. And I don't think that, you know, we've seen this year, and certainly from the comments that we've seen when Shay and I have been doing the, the live commentary on, on the TV coverage and on the IMSA radio coverage, we've seen people who are getting up in the middle of the night, in the early morning, wherever they are in the world, to tune in to the free live coverage because it's such good racing. It's so entertaining. And... And I would say also, and, and I hope you take this the right way, I, it doesn't look like the kind of level of racing that people might think it is. It's proper professional racing done in the proper way. And I think in some ways that surprised people this year. And and that must give you a lot of pride to be involved in a in a series like that and be part of the reason that people are tuning in. Yeah, I mean, you know, look at all the close finishes we've had and the people still talking about them and they... They want more, so I mean, it, yeah, it is a cool deal, and you know, I'm I'm happy to be a part of it. Uh, it's just, you know, this this is the the best racing I've ever been a part of, and uh, I just really enjoy it. And and I, you know, I hope I hope our series continues to grow. Really, you know, I think with this year we've kind of averaged about 25 cars. I'd love to see more than 30, you know, maybe 35 next year. I mean, that would just be that'd be awesome. Awesome deal. There's been such a variety of tracks as well. I'll, I'll, I'll come back to this weekend in a moment and we'll talk a little bit about WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca, a track, of course, that's had so much history with the Master brand down through the years. And, and indeed, I remember some great MX5 uh, Cup races, Global Cup races there, as it was called in the past. But I've got to talk to you about Sebring and Daytona. Starting the, starting the season at Daytona, um, I think a lot of people were sceptical, Michael, about what that would bring. But in point of fact, the entertainment value from us on the outside was marvellous. What was it like for you guys who were taking part? <laughs> well, uh, I, I was a sceptic myself <laughs> going into the weekend. But uh, the, the racing actually turned out completely opposite of what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like pack racing, like the early 2000s NASCAR where nobody could break away. You know, you'd have a 20-car pack, and, and it would just be a mess. But but it turned out to be the opposite, where you saw in the first race, before we had the caution, there was a, 
I believe it was a four car breakaway. And then, uh, in the second race, obviously before the yellow were, were out, made the last minute move. Um, you know, we had a three car breakaway. So it was totally opposite of what, what I had thought would take place. And I think a lot of people thought, uh, what would take place, but, um, yeah, I mean, being at Daytona is, you know, a thing in and of itself. I think, you know, anybody that rolls through that tunnel, you know, it's just a special feeling. But, uh, yeah, it was awesome to be on the Rolex 24 weekend. You know, I've, I've been going to that event as a kid for years, you know, camping out in the middle, you know, of the racetrack. And, and cool. to be on that event was uh, was just a really, really cool deal. And when you consider uh, the – we put... Sorry, go ahead. No, and we put on a good show. You did. So it all worked out. And when you consider the – the contrast between that you go to Sebring, we turn up another. I mean, that was the Lightning McQueen finish. In that, in that, yeah. that was. A, I I'm going to tell you now. People have said to me if I hadn't seen that with my own eyes and I'd watched it in highlights afterwards, I would have thought that was staged. That wasn't staged. That was an awesome three car finish on the line. We had the streets of St. Pete. We, we we've been on the four mile circuit of 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 Road America and. and it seems to me that there's no bad track from Master MX5, Michael. Yeah, you know, it's uh, Sebring was it was a crazy event. I know that first race, uh, the first race. Yeah, I remember leading on the last lap and thinking, "Don't make a mistake," and I made a little mistake, and they got back to my bumper, and then. Uh, yeah, I was fortunate to finish second. I thought I had won, but you know, obviously the picture. And then the timing uh, showed otherwise, but one thousandth of a second, I think it's like an inch and three quarter at a hundred miles an hour, <laughs> which is ridiculous. To I love the think. fact you know yeah. that, Michael. I love the fact you've got well, to work we, that we out. We had to do the math. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what what the distance is. And then, Very so, good. like eight thousandths of a second at Road America the other week was like fourteen inches, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, an inch and a quarter. Like, where, where do you get that in racing? <sighs> at the and in, and in, in, so. So what yeah. about this weekend then? What about um, WeatherTech Race with Laguna Seca? You've been there before. The cars have been there before, although not in the exact specification that the cars are now because there's been a few changes yeah. down the last few years with the sequential box and, and, and such like. Do, do I expect anything different? Is somebody going to disappear in the distance or am I going to have no voice left at the end of the two races again? Come on, tell me. I would expect, I would, you know, I don't really know. Um, I would expect, uh, you, you might not have a voice at the end. That's, that's what I would expect. But, um, you know, obviously somebody's going to want to break away, whether it's going to happen, maybe not. But, uh, you know, I, I remember last time we were here, Laguna, Laguna, I could see where it could be a hard place to pass, but, but I remember being here last time and being able to make moves and, you know, pass freely. You know, there were, it was good racing. It wasn't like some place where it was impossible to pass and it was follow the leader. Um, so, so I'm encouraged about the the racing that we'll see this weekend. Yeah. And uh, I, I would find it hard to believe if somebody broke away. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not impossible, right? But uh, I, I would. I don't think it's going to happen. Do, do, I think it's going to be a good race. Does that mean as well that uh, I mean the three of you that we've we've mentioned you? Uh, Gresham and, and Celine, uh, you guys have been the class of the field. 
But it strikes me that in the last few races in particular, that some of those rookies you mentioned, some of, and I love the fact that you're calling them youngsters when you're twen- all of the grand old age of 21, fella. Come on. Um, yeah. But, you know, um, Sam Paley in the McCombie McAleer racing car, um, Chris Noons, Luke Mars, those guys, Aaron Johnson, who's had a horrible season in, in some respects, but he's been quick when he's been going. Are we likely to see those guys as well challenging at, at the front of the field? Is this the sort of track where, where those guys are going to be able to get in with striking distance of, of, of an overall podium? Sam's been there or thereabouts at a couple of races this year. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't doubt that at all. I think, I think it's easily, you know, you could easily see a six-car lead pack, you know, for, for the race win or, or more. Um, you know, Jared Thomas is one of those yeah. that's had a terrible season. He, has. he keeps on shoving up. You know, keeps on uh, trying again. So maybe he'll have a breakthrough weekend. You know, Sam's obviously determined to win a race. Mm. Uh, Chris has been quick. You know, he's been running up front. Uh, Luca Mars seems to get better and better every week. Mm. Uh, Aaron, you know, I mean, there, yeah, there's a bunch of things that can happen. And then you have, uh, you know, Celine Gresham and myself, which, you know, unless we have any bad luck, we'll. we'll you know, hopefully, be in that lead pack also. Is is there any is is there any degree of you working together with guys at the start of the race to try and break? Because you know, mm. you know, there's twenty odd cars there, and they're all exactly the same cars. So the thing that's making the difference is the nut behind the wheel, as I always say, the uh, the carbon interface that that sits yeah. in the driver's seat. Um, is there any thought that you guys go, well, let's break this down from maybe 10 or 12 cars. Let's break it down to, to five or six. And then let's break it down to three or four or two or three. Is there any, can there be that kind of level of, of, of talking and planning? Or is it basically just you've you got to get out there and do what you do? I would say it all depends on who's around you. Um, you know, it just depends on, on who I would be around or, or who, you know, Celine might be around that he wants to break away with. Uh, I would say it all depends on that. Usually these races tend to work themselves out anyway. It's from a 12 to a 6 to a, you know, a three-car race. It just tends to happen like that. You know, mistakes make, get made, hard racing happens. And, uh, you know, those lead couple of cars, if they stay in line, tend to break away. Yeah. Um, but it depends, you know. There, there are points for most laps led and fastest mm-hmm. lap, and you know, so people want to lead, and if it, and it turns into some passing, you know, thing up at the front, we could see a, you know, a pretty, pretty big pack up at the front battling for the lead. So, well, Michael, it you, just depends. You've given us great. You and the guys have given us great entertainment so far. I'd expect nothing different at WeatherTech Raceway. They're going to take the weekend. Live on IMSA Radio, IMSA TV, and on the Mazda Motorsport site as well. It is one of my favourite places to go, not just because the racetrack is superb, and it is superb, but the area is is lovely, and I'm very envious of you being there. I'll say what I always say when we get drivers on. Uh, enjoy it, which I know you will. Uh, race well and race safely at the weekend. Michael Carter, thanks for joining us. Good luck for the rest of the season, mate. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Look forward to it. Tomorrow night at nine here on RS1 is on the grid. And this week, Michael Henry, a man who worked for Tom Walkinshaw from Arrows Formula One, went to Le Mans, went to HRT, did a lot of stuff in between. uh, And he is joining the team for a long chat about life, the universe and just about everything else. Plus, 
Uh, Tickford boss Tim Edwards on the second supercar border run. Darwin prep. And there starts the 2021 supercar season. That's all on the grid with Tony Shebecki, Richard Crail, Del Rogers and Mark Walker. Tomorrow at nine here on RS1. Nick. Okay, so it's the team by team for the Dutch Grand Prix. The first one for 36 years, 35, a long time. It's 1985, 36 years at Zandvoort this weekend. And then the normal way, we'll start with the people at the back. And in last place was Haas. What do you say about a team that's run by an entitled Russian who doesn't know when to let it go? You say they reap what they sow. If you're going to take the, uh, if you're going to work with the devil and take their money, you have to put up with the unpleasant devil's spawn. So the, I think Mike call Nikita Marzipan, Marzipan, Damien from now on, as he obviously is the devil's child. Um, picking point is scraps with Mick Schumacher about qualifying, uh, which then they pr- pr- turned out to be a team issue, but still not prepared to back down. I really don't know what he's on. He just always decided he'd make himself as, as unpopular as possible. He may he managed to uh, break all sorts of uh, morals at the end of last year. He made himself more and more unpopular. And, well, he doesn't care because he's a multimillionaire son. And, of course, they pay the bills. So poor old Gunter Steiner can't say anything. In the race, he was also a danger to everyone involved, jinking, off the, jinking in front of uh, Mick as he tried to get past. Not sure what he's trying to prove in a position for 18. He's not like he's going to get fired next year because he's paying for the whole thing. It's a relationship breaking down between those two. Uh, Mick Schumacher did finish mildly ahead of him, 18th. Mazapan, of course, was retired. Yeah, not looking good. And he kind of wondered, with all the musical chairs going on at the moment, whether perhaps Mick might find himself at Alfa Romeo because the relationship is... So poor, you think he's much likely to uh, to get on in a different Ferrari-powered team, and he could, you know, he could learn something from Valtteri Bottas, who uh, <laughs> he's an Alfa as I said many weeks ago. Uh, next up is Alfa Tauri, a t- tale of two cars. Yuki Tsunoda was absolutely poor the entire weekend and completely off the pace of Pierre Gasly, which is a very, very common subject. You kind of wonder why, with the uh, swirling concept of where Alex Albon is going, whether Yuki's actually done enough to really justify keeping his seat. He was fantastic in, in uh, pre-season testing and great in the first race, uh, but we've had another 12 since then. He's been relatively poor in all of those, uh, with very few standout moments, and too many accidents, and he's off pace. Or is it fourth-place finisher Pierre Gasly is just being brilliant? Pierre, great qualifying, great race. Came in fourth, just falling off Valtteri Bottas, but doing really all you could ask. But he doesn't know why Red Bull won't sign him back to the main team. Alex Albon, yeah, the, the whole team structure and the driver structure within Red Bull is as ever confusing. But as it stands, it looks like Pierre Gasly and Yuki Snow will be retained for next year. Uh, Williams was 16th and 17th. Um, they had a pretty ropey qualifying with both cars crashing during the second part of qualifying. Nicholas Latifi started from the pit lane and therefore made a couple of uh, television-based overtakes. Russell kind of went backwards. Ended up with a DNF, I think a tactical DNF, uh, so they could change the gearbox when he was nowhere. He was actually 11th before he had the problem. So, yeah, you know, not so bad. But uh, poor weekend overall. Uh, next up were Alfa Romeo, Antonio Giovinazzi, and Robert Kubica. Obviously, Robert didn't expect to be there. He only got the call on Saturday morning when Kim Raikkonen tested positive for COVID-19. And as he said himself, it was nice to finally be in a race for 11 years, first time in 11 years, because, of course, his time with uh, was Williams was an absolute nadir when they were nowhere near even the slowest car there, though he did get one point in the attrition-ridden German Grand Prix of a couple of years ago. Put in a great performance, Robert. He is obviously a great driver. 
unfortunately, a shadow of his, of his former self after the accident, which took most of the movements in his right arm away. But, you know, very solid. Overtook a few people, looked pretty good. Antonio Giovinazzi, who was hoping this might be a, a great shot window. Well, Saturday was looking fantastic. He was seventh. Marvellous. But got caught up in a kerfuffle, really, in the first lap. Not really all of his own making. He was, he was kind of blocked a little bit by Alonso, moved off the track by another driver and dropped down to 10th. He may have picked up lower order points, but picked up a puncture after his second stop. And that was it. And he just drifted back to 14th. So unfortunately, no shop window to put yourself in. Another team that came in two by two was Aston Martin, 12 and 13. Lance Stroll, I can be absolutely honest with you, I have no idea what Lance Stroll did during the race. So I expect he was brilliant. Sebastian Vettel got involved as a uh, well, blocked bystander of the Haas row in qualifying because he couldn't get past because he was on his fast set with the two of them having a silly little argument around the bank final turn and got blocked. But somehow they managed to avoid getting a penalty. Not sure how that happened. Uh, apparently because he was a gentleman said it was just down to the traffic. I think Seb should be a little bit let gentlemanly because those Haas boys are very, very silly at the moment. Entertainers in the race with a spin to uh, turn three. So Seb still puts in the occasional random spin. Made a few places at the end on the tire offset but finished 13th which was kind of in this very difficult to overtake track, the best you could do. One more NOAA-based team coming in two by two. And, and actually, those of you who heard Lewis Hamilton's post-race interview, we've noticed he made the wrong biblical reference. He actually said that the, the traffic was parting was, was, was parting for Max Verstappen like he was Noah. Well, of course, it was Moses. Moses who parted the Red Sea. Noah was the one with the animals, Lewis. And they came in two by two, much like McLaren did. Norris had a difficult, difficult and disappointing qualifying he wasn't first running Q2, wasn't very good, didn't get a second run due to the accident for Latifi. Ricciardo was a little bit better. He, I think he qualified in the top 10, but he had some problems on the line, got away slowly. Neither of them showing great McLaren-based pace. Uh, Norris had a nice banging moment with Perez, which, which was excited the TV people, but the net result was just one point between the two of them. Norris slightly had a Ricciardo, but I'm pretty sure that was basically down to tactics. Next up is Alpine, who came back to form after a difficult time in Spa. Well, it would be a difficult time in Spa. They actually run it, of course. A Hungarian race winner picked up uh, Esbat Ocon, picked up ninth. Fernando Alonso picked up sixth. Interesting, Ocon was complaining after a very lively first couple of laps, which saw uh, Alonso ahead of Ocon. Ocon was complaining that uh, Alonso was holding him up. It actually turned out that what Alonso was doing was, was pacing himself. So he was able to run a bit longer in the first in, and then we got Going in the second stint, he was able to pass, most importantly, his, his fellow Spaniard, Carlos Sainz, uh, and uh, stay ahead of uh, Sergio Perez for a very, very good result of sixth. So uh, despite almost crashing at turn three, so Alonso again showing his worth in a, uh, in, a in a scrappy, a, scra- a scrapping race rather than a scrappy race. And he got himself forward. Uh, Oscar picked up points. Next up, we get to talk about Red Bull with uh, Sergio Perez. Well, he's eight, so he got some points, but a disastrous race. For but I'm just talking about Sergio now. I'll talk about Max in a second because because Tim's not on my back. This is this is this is me on my own. I can just uh, split the teams up one two. Uh, Perez obviously uh, didn't get out of Q1 due to an error of timing. Then uh, started to start with the pit lane. We took the new engine they need because of course they they both Perez and Verstappen lost an engine uh, over the course of those two crashes that the team suffered in Silverton, Hungary. So he took the new engine units and he started from the pit lane with a new wing and was all you know set to run right up the field, which they thought should have resulted in being fifth or sixth if, if things ran well. And then about five laps in, he completely flat-spotted his first set of tyres with a, I think he was trying to get through Mazepan at the time, it just didn't work. And had to make an extra stop. And then he looked really, and then he did, overtook people. He overtook enough people to win driver of the day in the really irrelevant vote by the viewer. 
And yeah, he just he overtook people because he had a much much faster car, evidenced by his teammate and a tire offset. So yeah, not great, Sergio. Uh, you know, especially when you're seeing Pierre Gasly doing really, really well. But Red Bull don't want Pierre Gasly. Uh, they don't want Alexander Albon either, but they want other people to have him. Hmm, Red Bull, not sure what you're doing. Next up with the Ferrari pair of Carlos Sainz Jr. and Charles Leclerc. Leclerc and uh, Sainz Jr. looked particularly good on Friday where they they topped a session. You kind of think, oh, this might be, you know, tight circuit, might be back on Ferrari terms. But from then on, was it kind of drifted away? It wasn't a massive underperformance. Carlos Sainz had a crash in free practice three and was always a little bit slower than Charles. They they all dropped off the uh, the, the top three very quickly uh, with Gasly's kind of interloping between the two of them. And then Carlos Sainz lost sixth place right at the end to Alonso. Uh, Leclerc carried on going round. And, you know, nothing, it didn't do really anything wrong, but it was just kind of an uninspired performance by both of them. They'll be hoping to be able to turn the week up for next weekend when it's the home Grand Prix at Monza. Next up, we have Mercedes. Valtteri Bottas... You know, the new Alfa Romeo driver. You heard it here first. Drove a yeah, relatively good race. The fact is he's just not as good as Lewis or Max. He was on a different strategy, agreed. He was, you know, he was dropping back. He dropped back too far. And, you know, there was the kerfuffle with him going for the fastest lap at the end, which he said he didn't do, but he did. And he was being a bit sulky. And he said, oh, I slowed down enough to make it easy for Lewis to do it. But, yeah, but the point about that is Lewis shouldn't have had to do it. And there's always a risk of pulling a driver into a pit stop or something and go wrong. And there's no guarantee that his last lap would have been clear. There could have been a yellow flag. There could have been a red flag. So, realistically, Bottas kind of left a parting shot of a bit of churlishness. But, you know, what can you do? Ending up getting third, you know, doing that supporting role, which he does much better than Sergio Perez. So when it comes to Lewis, well, Lewis, you know, Lewis drove a great, great qualifying, great race. He had the problem in free practice two where he lost a lot of time. He wasn't, the car wasn't as quick. The basic fact is that the Red Bull driven by Max Verstappen was fast around the lap. Um, I read a lot of people saying that, you know, that it was a comfortable win. But Lewis was always pressurising him. And, he, and I think he got the maximum. He also had a row with the pit wall saying, I want to race, I want to race. And, yeah, I think Lewis can be very proud of his weekend's work. I mean, he did what he could do. I think Mercedes missed a huge number of tricks tactically. They didn't play Valtteri, the Valtteri block at all well. They knew they were going to run two stops. There was no point blocking Max the first time round because at that point, Valtteri comes out of play. What they should have done is pit Valtteri about, for about six or seven laps after Max and Lewis pity, which would have left him with a six or seven second buffer over Max. So Max, you, know, you need 25 seconds. He'd have been 19 behind and sitting absolutely in that difficult position for Max. So Max couldn't, couldn't have gone first in the let's stop again stakes. They should have given Lewis much more freedom as long as he was to stop three or four laps later because he stopped too early. And then he would have had a chance of making this undercut work. I'm not saying it would have done, but it would have just been a better chance. Likewise, Mercedes should have stopped Lewis for soft tyres with about 20 laps to go. They had absolutely nothing to lose. Only Valtteri was ahead of them. They could easily just stop Valtteri again or ask him to move over. And Lewis might have been able to catch up in 20 laps to the back of Max Verstappen. If he hadn't, he hadn't be. He would be no worse than he was. And he was for a number of uh, laps within about two seconds of Max. So that Max couldn't have run the undercuts. So they would just have to sit there and have gone for it. That may have required them to push their tyres more than they wanted to do. But they sat there in mo- no man's land. And you do feel that kind of indecision, the corporate indecision in tactics. We do see a lot of Mercedes. And, and the Mercedes strategies, who get, on the whole are just not that agile. I mean, the thing is, they've had seven years not having to bother about them. For seven years, they haven't had to bother. They just put it out, blast everybody, didn't have to think about uh, advanced tactics. But you sat there going, mm, I don't know. Obviously, we haven't got all the information. I don't see what the pit wall, you know, be all sorts of reasons not to do it. But it just seemed they had a free chance to stop Lewis with 20 laps to go and just put some pressure on. And that result may have been second. And the fact, the net result almost certainly would have been second, but it would have been a 
a more aggressive strategy and just showing a bit of thinking outside the box when they had nothing to lose. But Lewis did, of course, get fastest lap, which meant the, the loss of points to Max was just six. And you kind of felt that Mercedes were happy to walk away just losing six points. It's like, this wasn't our track. The other tracks will suit us more. You know, we've had this problem with the turn three and the oil pickup. We'll just get out of here. They, were, they just weren't really wanting to fight. They just wanted to get the points and go home. So finally come to Max Verstappen. Max was, was great all weekend. It was really fantastic to see. And, and I'll, I'll sort of line Max up with Zandvoort itself. The Zandvoort track is visually stunning. They had 70,000 there, but because the crowd is so close in, it just looked like the place was had way more than they had 105,000. Silverstone was a big kind of rangy airfield. You know, what would it be like next year with a full crowd? It's only knows. You know, the atmosphere was great. It was, it was bouncing. The, the Dutch fans had kind of turned their vitriol towards Lewis to much more, you know, banter which is fine and Max was able to soak up the pressure really really well he didn't seem to, to I mean it helped that she got the fastest car but he absolutely executed everything bar a uh, slight error on his final lap and a uh, technical problem with the DRS which didn't count for anything because he still qualified on pole but he looked great and, and they said it was very easy win they said he always had it in hand and they said this is, this is ominous for Mercedes not sure if I necessarily agree with that as an overall opinion because Mercedes got for a number of laps Lewis within one and a half seconds of Max if you could go quicker at that point, you would go quicker. You would want to, you, you, if you look at it, you want to cushion about four seconds, it kind of at least. It kind of gives you a, a, a prevention of being undercut. More importantly, if you have a bit of bad luck or you suddenly have a minor squiggle, you know, or some back marker really gets in your way, you've got that cushion. So I don't think they were quite as easy as everyone thinks they were. I get the impression they were pretty much on their limit. Um, there wasn't that much controlling. And certainly you don't want your main rival within half a, half a minor error of you. So... I think there's a little bit of kind of a, let's just say it was really easy for Red Bull. But Max drove a great race. Absolutely brilliant race uh, and thoroughly deserved to win the 2021 Dutch Grand Prix. As an aside, I actually watched the race in a hotel lobby with a number of Dutch people for a batch of uh, Ivo Broker's team from uh, from Creventic. And they had the Ziggo commentary on. Well, all I can say, if ever you've accused Sky of being biased, you want to watch a bit of Ziggo. Also, the really weird thing was, um, obviously they, they play out the team radio messages and they also as you know sometimes write them down the side and they play them out in English well the Dutch commentator then just read them out again or repeated them in English which kind of made that I thought but why are you not translating them to Dutch also the other thing if, if it was a message which he thought was you know anti-Lewis he'd laugh at it you know he'd, oh the tyres are wearing out I'm, I'm, I, that last bit I'm assuming from the from the Dutch I couldn't translate so yeah, but they obviously, yeah, yeah, they had a great time. And it's, it, you know, it is nice to see the Dutch getting to celebrate as the British did the British Grand Prix. Max has done well. And we now move on to Monza, which people still don't know who is going to do what. And of course, all the Volder role about George Russell becoming a Mercedes driver and Valtteri Bottas moving to Alfa Romeo. That's the team by team for the 2021 Dutch GP. Thank you, Nick. It's a busy weekend away from Formula One this weekend because we have a lot of motorsport here on the Radio Show Limited Network. We do. Uh, starting with the return of the Nürburgring Langstrasse. Uh, it is the ADAC uh, six-stunder six-stunder um, uh, Rennen, surely. Yes, if you say if you're so. If you say six-stunder, then it's surely six-stunder. Yes, fair enough. Uh, so the <laughs> Renan, um is on Saturday. Uh, join Bruce Jones and Peter Snowden uh, at 10.15 UK time. 11.15 uh, if you're listening at the Nürburgring. 
we also have some Porsches. Quite extended, a, quite a extended Porsche. Porsche coverage. The this Porsche Carrera Cup North America presented by the Cayman Islands, uh, which has 13 pros this week, 10 pro ams, and five 991s, uh, which yeah. makes a grand total of 31 cars. I'm very excited about that. That's and it's Indianapolis. A at Indianapolis. Yeah, Indianapolis, part of the Porsche Together Festival uh, at Indianapolis. And we've got extended coverage of that, which includes practice and qualifying, as well as all three races. Now, that's split between RS1 and RS2 because, Tim, we've also got WeatherTech Sports Car Championship from the WeatherTech uh, Raceway Laguna Seca this weekend on RS2. Yes, and the Michelin Pilot Challenge and the Mazda MX-5, uh, sorry, Idemitsu Mazda MX-5. As we spoke with uh, Michael, yes. Series, which uh, we heard about with uh, Michael Carter earlier on. And um, is there another sport race? Have we got Lamborghinis as well? Lamborghini. I just like saying it, but yes, we do have Lamborghini as well. So the Lamborghini Super Trofeo North America. Sup- I think Super Trofeo. Uh, trofeo is very, you know, but it's super. Should there, it not, is there not a more Italian way of saying super? I mean, super I is a Latin word, so not really. Okay, fine. Fine. Moving on. That's all this weekend. If you go to radio-show.co.uk or imsaradio.com and scroll down at the bottom, everything is there. There's a bit of channel shuffling if you want to follow yes. the Porsches um, because there is a little bit of crossover. But trust me, we will have sound and vision on all of that um, for uh, the support races and, of course, for those of you outside the US for WeatherTech sports car. It's a bit of it's a wee bit of shuffling, but it, it, not much. And we'll remind you right across the weekend uh, on whatever channel we're Indeed. on. That's what's going on the other ones, and as uh, well. Can I it'll all be on. available as podcasts from imsaradio dot com for the ims material, or from uh, radioshow dot co dot uk for the other material. Declan Brennan is still with us. Yes, in so far as that I'm on the other end of the line, and I'm not dead. Well, uh, so always good. I, I always, <laughs> I always think that's good. In fairness, it's when, it's like when people say to me, "Filmed in front of a live audience, always better than a dead one." <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, ju- just a, a a couple of quick things before we get onto bikes, and, and we push for time. We're going to go into overtime. I'll tell you that now. Um, so, a couple of things. Michael Carter talking about the um, the MX5 challenge. The Edemitsu MX-5 Challenge. Yes. $550,000 of real folding money in that. Very interesting to hear what he said about, I'm quite happy to stay here because I I can pay for my motor racing here. It doesn't have to be a stepping stone to some... Hello, Dex. Have we lost you? Of course we have. Just as I was expecting Dex uh, to to talk to us, um, it's been one of those evenings tonight. Let me get. Uh, let me see if we can get Dex back. I, I think it's it's very interesting 
that we um, have a, a situation where young drivers are looking at that and you can completely understand why um, um, that they that um, with that kind of money up for grabs that they don't feel the need to move on to to something else Dex are you back with us I am yeah oh, sorry it, about that it is an, an absolute outlier in modern motor, motorsport um, it is of course a throwback to time when when and we've talked about this on, on numerous occasions that was the norm in yes. in in, in racing was you could exist on start money uh you could make a living you could make a good living uh, uh by uh, doing all sorts of particularly in sports car racing uh and and the junior formula you could work your way around europe and eventually the world uh getting uh contingency money from your oil and your tire sponsors yes. and start money from from your promoters and that's that is you know canam uh, oh. made headlines because canam's prize fund was absolutely enormous was hundreds of thousands of dollars back in the in the 60s and into the 70s uh well this and Lanswick says i've raced mx5 in the uk there was a manufacturer sponsored series um uh, up until relatively recently, no prize money though. That's it. I mean, uh, I, I when, when we were setting that up with Mike, and I spoke to him earlier on the week, and, and thanks to Aaron Chechill for setting that up, by the way, uh, as well. I I, I think it's ninety thousand euros, the prize money for winning Le Mans outright. It's it's two hundred and fifty thousand euros, uh, dollars rather, for winning the overall MX5 championship. There's 80 grand for the best rookie and various other contingencies down for $550,000. It's a, it's a double-edged sword, though, wow. John, because uh, because what it's what it'll do then, it will it, it will promote people to stay there and who are maybe who don't have aspirations to, to run full-time as professionals but can uh, can effectively save you if you if you run a tuning house or or, or mm. a, a small you know cool. and you can and you can offset some of your costs by having your you know you're already having your race shop and and you can make a tidy sum running in that series and staying there and uh, but what I would suggest it really needs uh, and and something I'm going to have a chat with uh, with Mr. Mo Murray about uh, when I see him in uh, Long Beach in a couple of weeks is that uh, ultimately Mazda for this to work properly they have to I I but this is just me but I feel like for it to be fully legitimate they, it has to be the stepping stone or or maybe the second point after Spec Miata which is kind of one step below that yes uh, at SCCA level they have to be building blocks and starting points for uh, sports car careers. All right. Uh, and I know that's something that Mazda have talked about and they had the road to 24 and they wanted to be able to do that. And I firmly believe they need to at least create the, the option of a, of a, a, a ladder system, uh, a funded ladder system for, for winners of that series. If they want to go on and do other things, if they have aspirations, yeah. uh, but at the same time, it's awesome that you can, uh, that you can, you can cover your costs and effectively run that series for free if you're good enough. That's a that's phenomenal. Well, if you've decided that you're going to spend a certain amount of money to go motor racing and you've finished 10th and you get, and I don't know what it is, but it's $10,000 or whatever it is, that effectively, that's free money, isn't it? 
you know, and and you've said to yourself, I I'm prepared to commit X amount of thousands of dollars for buying the car and X amount of thousand dollars for running it. Um, but even if you run with a team and you win the championship, you're a hundred grand in profit. Um, it's as simple yeah. as it, it's as simple as that. Uh, in terms, in terms of that, you and therefore me? you get deals done, John. Yes, just, that, then that allows the teams to do deals where if they feel they'll. And and when I was when we were CJ Wilson Racing, we did this with of all people, we did this with Stephen McAleer. Yeah. Stephen didn't have the money, uh, well, I, I didn't have the full budget, but we took a punt on him, uh, <laughs> as we were. CJ Wilson Racing took uh, his fifth or or th- the third of his budget, and said, "Okay, we recognize your talent." And we're going to, uh, you know, supplement the program through the prize fund. And he won the championship, yes. you know, and, and that year that championship gave him the fully funded uh, run in, in ST uh, that that eventually became an ST championship. And look at him now. He's he's yeah. he's a like he's a, a professional team owner. Uh, oh, team owner. Yeah. He has a, a fleet of 15 kids in his car at school and, and he's. <laughs> He's running. I, I think there's no. He's literally the James Brown of motorsport. He's the hardest working man in a, in motorsport. But but that business model works in MX5 Cup. And if you're a a, a team owner who's who wants to to exploit talent who doesn't necessarily have all the money, it can be done. Yeah, if agreed. there are ways to do it. Uh, let's move on to two worlds decks because we run out of time. We're going to run over. We got Paul Fanner coming up uh, in uh, a little while from uh, Racer. Uh, magazine, and he's been standing by for a little while, but, but we'll, we'll get to him in, in in a wee second. Let's talk about World Superbikes at the weekend at Magny Cole, um, which, as a as a car track, is sometimes okay, sometimes not. I think as a motorcycle track, is fantastic. Um, it's out in the middle of, of nowhere. A bit of a, a little bit of controversy at the weekend. Um, between Kawasaki and Yamaha. And I say that deliberately, Dex, because I don't want to bring the riders into it because I'm not sure... Well, I'm absolutely certain that Jonathan Ray had nothing to do with it. Um, the, there was a demotion for Top Rack Raz Gadliogthu for, for the, the sprint race, which took an awful long time to come through. Yeah, four uh, hours. Uh, yes. Yeah, by which time, you know, most people left the track. And don't forget um, that... That stripped him of his because he won the main the two main races. Uh, that was that his first him of his fir- would have been his first yeah. ever triple. But uh, in simple terms, John, on one of the laps when he took the lead, he he transgressed the uh, the dare I say we have to talk about track limits mm-hmm. by a tiny tiny tiny. Yeah, amount. he did. He did. And it, and ultimately, uh, it wasn't it wasn't. Uh, uh, the winning or losing of that race. Well, but... in the same lap, Ray went back past him in either the next yeah. corner, the one after, yeah. and then Top Rack went back past him. It happened, it was the last lap, and the regs say if you go on the grid in the true. last lap, yeah. you are demoted a position. I've got yeah. to say, in the letter of the law, it's absolutely right. However, yes, however, did he gain an advantage? And my answer to that would be no, he didn't. And to be honest, ultimately, the, the, the way I view this, uh, and we discussed this before we came on air, is that to me, it is uh, the biggest indicator right now of the fear mm. that Kawasaki have about top Totally rank. agree. And I think they it's suddenly become very apparent that uh, a seventh 
consecutive world title for Jonathan Ray is uh, increasingly less likely. Ras Catlioglu is getting better every week. Well, it's not really mattering where they what track they're on, uh, and that's and and ya- Yamaha were the victim of of a uh, of a team who were absolutely within their rights to no, protest, no, uh, uh, no, this, but it's fine. Probably shouldn't have. Well, listen. To be perfectly honest, but uh, the regulations are there. They they went by the letter of the regulations. I would say that the that the spirit of the regulations weren't upheld this weekend. Now that's just you know that's just I I he got an advantage for a moment. That advantage was taken back. At that point, I'm like, right, okay, you can scrub that right now. Last lap or not last lap, unless it's yeah. the last corner of the last lap. Yeah, uh, you know, absolutely. But anyway, it was. It's seven honest, points. It's seven points it's between seven points top, now, top and... rack and, and Jonathan Scott Redding um, is you know what sixty odd points further back, sixty eight five points uh, further back. Uh, Scott suffering again from what it would seem that Ducati only get themselves together for the last race, and uh, and by then he's lost. Too or, much points. Only get themselves together for a rider after if they've decided to go to different teams the following year. Well, <laughs> a, la, a la Jorge Lorenzo in twenty uh, in twenty eighteen. So, uh, the Reading got it together, uh, and yes, but ultimately he got it together to to be competitive. Mm. But he was not on a par with either of the two riders, and Ray is not right now on a par with Tom. Well, Ray. well, let's talk. Let's talk about that. I know we're running out of time, and I know we've got other things to talk about. But I, I, I want to go into this just a tiny bit with you. Um, there is a, a technical difference between Kawasaki and everybody else in that they they use Shoah suspension, uh, and everybody else doesn't. Let, yeah. let, let's let's put it that way. It does seem to me, however, that I, I was watching very carefully at the weekend about how Top Rack and, and Jonathan used the front end of their bikes. The thought is that, that, that Kawasaki have to go for, the, uh, for a particular tyre, the softer tyre, because it works with the front end of the bike. Yeah. It, it seemed, I, I, I noticed on a couple of the big braking areas that top rack brakes really hard to start with and then lets off and l- allows the the forks to decompress before trail braking in whereas Jonathan goes on hard 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 and eventually the forks are bottoming out and using the sidewall and he has real problems with that it was better this weekend than it has been no doubt but there is something fundamentally that isn't as as forgiving about either Kawasaki or the way that Jonathan Ray is riding it that we haven't had to see before because he's not been pushed that hard before. Well, uh, that's exactly the point, John. It, he's Because nobody has been that close to him on a consistent basis and certainly nobody with Top Rack's ability to go deep into a corner Correct. Uh, the way he has, which means really he Ray's... Uh, Options are to block pass. Mm. He can't really outbreak. He has to effectively take the corner away, and he can't really do that. Uh, he certainly couldn't do it at Magny Cor, uh, and and it was just it was at times jaw dropping to watch 
the confidence that Ross Catlioglu has on the brakes and uh, and on corner entry, and it, it kind of makes him almost invincible because mm. these bikes aren't. There's not enough difference on corner exit and 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 with their with their general performance uh, through the gears uh, to see where Ray has to. Uh, has an advantage and to me and i've said this before i said i think that package that kawasaki package is is uh beautifully balanced and and is as works everywhere at a high level and that's because he does because alex lowes keeps falling off uh you know there there are, are uh there alex lowes can't perform at the same level ray is performing at such a high level and he's i think he's we're at the stage where he's getting almost everything out of that bike and mm. finally there is somebody who, when Ray is performing at that level, can perform at a higher level than him. Yeah, and, totally correct. And that's the thing that makes me think we've seen just for this year, but we've seen that that shift. And and the, the right now, uh, it is we're just over halfway through the season, but it you feel like it's top racks to lose, and it, it totally feels correct. like his maturity levels are massively now at a stage where massively. where he's. Has his mature? He's he's way more mature, but he's also riding. He's faster than he's ever been. And Denning, Paul Denning's admitted that they they spent the the off season and this year basically uh, building a bike and and building the team and and this, this is Paul bike Denning around, Yamaha. around yeah. yeah around him, not around Locatelli, not around the Zane, not around no, no, not no, around no. Gerloff. And and the beauty is is that. He's this is this is a completely his team. It's his bike, and man, is he making it work! Uh, it's Catalonia, the Hyundai N Catalonia round uh, next. Tim Gray has some questions for you, uh, Mister Brennan. Tim, what do you have? Yes. Well, these are the final two questions uh, left over from the yes! first hour. <laughs> uh, who scored his first ever oh, win at Portland <laughs> in anything? Are you kidding me? Which current Indy Mark car Blundell. driver? Current oh, Indy sorry, car driver. Current Indy car had his first ever win at Portland. Oh man! Uh, uh, was it Takuma Sato? No, it wasn't. No, no. Uh, oh boy! He won I... in British Formula Three well before we went to uh, Portland. Oh, you're talking about first ever ever yes. win in ever, anything, ever, not ever. just in IndyCar. Yes. Oh, oh. wow. Oh, first uh, he's, and he's a current IndyCar driver. He is. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Uh, so it could be. So it could have been in in, in a different category. Series, it could have yeah. been in a different series. Correct. Oh, oh boy. Uh, I'm going to say uh, it's got to be somebody like. Stop gonna... looking it up. You're looking it up. I know you are. No, I'm looking at the driver list. It's it's not it's not helping me. I'm just literally looking at the championship positions. I'm going to say Jack Harvey. Incorrect. Who is it? Oh. It's Graham Rahal. Graham Rahal? No way. Oh, he won Star he won Star Mazda there, didn't he? Mm. Okay. And, next uh, one. Oh. Next. Who won his first ever championship title, or who sealed his first ever championship title uh, at Portland? And again, in anything, but he's a current IndyCar driver. Blimey. Blimey, Charlie. Uh, wow. Uh, at Portland. Yep. Yeah. So it's got to be relatively recent. 
yep. but maybe not. Uh, would it be somebody who had an IMSA title? That's just what I was thinking, funny enough. I'm oh, thinking, boy. I'm thinking, was it Bourdais? It wasn't. Because, again, he hadn't raced in the States before he won, you know, yeah. Formula 3000. Or uh, Formula I'm going to, oh, boy. Uh, this is, that's a crazy hard one. Uh, R.C. Enison. <laughs> that was a, not a horrible Pato guess. Award? It's not Pato Award. Uh, it is, in fact, James Hinchcliffe. Oh, one wow. Atlantic. In what? Uh, Atlantics. Oh, man. God, he he's goes back to the Atlantic days. Blimey. All right, bef- before we move on, uh, a couple of tweets. Uh, Yamaha dispelling the myth that you can run for championships in MotoGP and WSB uh, at the same time. That's a great point. That That's really a great is. point because you know, John, off the record, you and I have had this discussion. Absolutely. And that was my pet theory for a long time that you can't do that. Yeah. But that is a fantastic point. Absolutely. Well agree. made and beautifully presented. Uh, and Wicker Bill says if I was Yamaha and Top Rock, I'd take the penalty as a positive, clearly getting under Kawasaki's skin. Take that on the chin, take the energy, beat them on the track. Yamaha doing well in BSB too, uh, BSB as well. So it looks like a changing of the guard maybe in Superbike globally. Another, see, that's why I love the collective. I I, I really do. Uh, just a quick final bit of bikes. Um, Tito Rabat and Barney Racing parted company yes, by ways, mutual yes. consent following the, the French round. Um, interesting, and he he's joined. Well, I mean they've split eight, eight rounds into the season. What's gone wrong there, Ducati again? Uh, he just didn't seem to get on with it, and then he had a he had a crash this year, which which uh, I, I think he's not. I I get the impression he's not fully fit, uh, which is a shame for him. Uh, I, you know you don't you don't win junior formula uh, world titles. And and be rubbish. It's like I, I just, I just wonder if 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 he's just lost his edge, having having been on relatively un- mm. uncompetitive machinery or just uh, in in MotoGP for so long. It's hard to tell, but maybe he needs a break and maybe he'll get some recovery time. I'd be interested to see who they put on that bike. Uh, as a few names, I'd love to see get a get a crack at that. Somebody like maybe just some somebody mad like Eric Granado or, but uh, who? Because uh, I love him. Uh, and uh, but uh, I don't know who's going on that bike to be perfectly honest. And, right. and maybe it might be somebody coming out of Italian super stocks or uh, a name we're not we're not familiar with. But uh, watch this space. Dex, thanks for being with us, mate. And oh, my uh, pleasure. Have a have a good evening. We'll speak to you soon. Oh, indeed you will. And uh, I'll be I'll be uh, tweeting and and communicating madly over the weekend, uh, supporting my. My uh, lovely gradient boys at uh, WeatherTech Raceway. Can't wait for it. That's on RS2, of course, over the weekend. Uh, we're a bit late for this, Tim. Where are we going next? Uh, well, I haven't told you yet that uh, tomorrow night at 8 o'clock here on RS1, it's the SimCast uh, with all the latest uh, news uh, and rumours from the world of e-racing. And that is with uh, Lewis and Ben this week, I believe, Uh, if I've got that the right way around. Uh, And that's tomorrow at 8 here on RS1. Uh, Who do we have now, John? Well, joining us now on Midweek Motorsport, um, it's always a pleasure to have Paul Fanner, the CEO and President of Racer Media and Marketing, 
uh, with us. Uh, it's under unfortunate circumstances um, because we're looking back on, I would say, a life well led, Paul, uh, <laughs> that of of your longtime colleague and and contributor Robin Miller, who lost his valiant battle um, with illness a couple of weeks ago. Now we've deliberately left a couple of of weeks weeks go by. Um, is it even possible to put into perspective what sort of uh, what sort of effect and influence Robin Miller had? On, on what he did for, for Racer and, and for, for the broadcasters and everybody that he was involved with? Well, I, I think it's impossible, John, and, and thank you for having uh, having me with you today to remember Robin. Um, it, uh, you know, Robin was the, the cool kid on the block that everybody wanted to hang out with, and he just carried the spirit of the sport in his heart, and uh, his passion was infectious. Uh, up and down the pit lane and in our office. And that uh, it's been a tough one to process. We knew it was coming, uh, of course, and, and he was the first to kind of uh, tell us this, a transition was about to take place, as he, as he told me. Uh, but uh, I think that with a couple of weeks' perspective, um, all I am is grateful and thankful for having known him and worked with him. Well, oh, I'm sad, of course. Yeah, but but very grateful. I I barely knew Robin at all. Of course, our paths crossed. But what always struck me about Robin, above anything else, was his authenticity. It didn't matter whether I was reading something in Racer magazine or online, whether I was watching him on the television, whether it was contemporary. Um, IndyCar stuff or whether I look back at you know with Dave Despain on wind tunnel and things like that which I was an avid consumer of when I could get to see that Robin was Robin there was no side to him if he liked you he would say he'd like you if you did something wrong he would say you'd done something wrong and if he felt something needed saying my goodness he would say it authenticity through and through yeah, I, I, it's another word for honesty in, in my my view. He was just yes. dead honest about stuff, and uh, and you know it, uh, it it wasn't all uh, you know sunshine and roses. We we did have uh, occasional friction about things. I'm I'm running a business, and he's uh, being uh, the leading journalist in in uh, in our world here, doing what he does. But it was always done with respect, um, and I think that. You know, his passion was hardwired to the soul and meaning of the sport. He knew what he was writing about because he felt it. It wasn't um, this uh, distance observer trying to comment on mm. things. He was living it, and he knew almost everyone he wrote about, and he knew the people who were no longer with us. And he had that arc of story, that sense of where this had come from and where it was going and the mistakes that had been made. So he wasn't gonna let you f it up you know he wanted to tell you yes. <laughs> you you were effing it up if you were and he didn't pull any punches i love that about him you know it was a, it was again a privilege and an honor to carry his work at our media properties i'm not sure if i'm honest that anybody else coming into particularly broadcast media now would be able to have that kind 
of honesty because in in some ways it, it was almost shocking um you'd see him on the television in the pit lane interviewing people he would ask the tough questions he would ask the questions to people that they didn't want to answer but because it was robin they felt they had to in some respects i suppose which was magnificent for us as the the viewer and the listener yeah. I, i'm not sure anybody else could have could could now get away with that well, maybe not. God, I hope they do. I hope there is another person or persons out there that are inspired by Robin and his honesty, um, because I believe that that's what we need. You know, uh, we used to talk amongst our, among ourselves that we're not here to publish press releases and be guided. You know, where yeah. we have a, we work for the reader. That was one of the things that we absolutely agreed on, and Robin never forgot it. And he didn't want to lie to the people who love the sport no. and he wanted to be their advocate. And uh, if, if you're a racing fan and you love Robin, you knew he, he carried the water for you. He'd go and ask that question. You probably wanted to ask, but nobody else had the balls to do it. Yeah. There is a, a, a bitter irony, of course, that Robin, Robin's death now when IndyCar is in one of its strongest positions that it, has been for quite some time with Roger Penske having taken on the series. I have a strong suspicion, as little as I do, did know Robin, that he would be unhappy at us taking so much time talking about him and not talking about the yeah. sport that he that he loved. So I, I, forgive me if I do um, have a little chat about about IndyCar. It, it is true that IndyCar is yeah. in a in a much better situation than than for probably a couple of decades. Yes, and you know the uh, the most determined suicide in history is finally over. Uh, it failed, <laughs> thank God. Um, <laughs> Very good. Uh, 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 and uh, Robin was thrilled with this, and you know he, you know I, I I think it's obvious if you followed Robin, he very much appreciates the good work of Jay Fry, and uh, in particular that Jay was this bridge over troubled water in, in recent years between so. different ownership groups, and and Jay just. Uh, he does a really good job of getting it right and, and understanding the problem and trying to solve the right problems. And that, that was something that uh, Robin was particularly encouraged by. Um, and, and Jay's a racer, so he understood the culture and what what was appropriate to do and not to do. And, and obviously, uh, despite the fact that they'd had their issues over the years, uh, uh, being Robin being Robin, being the reporter he is, uh, Roger Penske and uh, Robin enjoyed a very respectful, uh, friendly, uh, you know, relationship. Uh, and I, I think he was encouraged by the moment that Roger took the sport over, that there's an air of inevitability in its success. Now, the irony is that I think this will, if you, if you knew Robin Miller, this will amuse you, but, uh, he wasn't feeling particularly uh, well. He'd traveled, I think. He'd gone out with friends. He might have come back from a, uh, a trip with his friends the day that was announced. Uh, and he slept through it. He literally slept through the story of his lifetime. And was he pissed when he woke up and found oh, out man. that Roger Penske? <laughs> yes, it was hilarious. I mean, uh, he he he, uh, he made a lot of fun of himself about that for the next couple of months. But uh, yeah, couldn't wake him up. Uh, to hey, Roger Penske just bought the speed. We tried calling him at all. Nothing would wake him up. <laughs> 
Oh, that's precious. So, that is that yeah, is yeah. precious. He was he was a staple, of course, of of, of Racer, uh, the magazine. Um, Racer has diversified, yes, yes. and you've been at the the very forefront of that, um, having been back with Racer for for some time now. Um, but Racer the magazine continues as a print magazine. To what do you all yes. the success, the continued success? Of, of printing a magazine, it is it's just the fact that you've kept printing it that that and people keep buying it. Is it as simple as that, Paul? Well, that's some of it, of course. Um, you know, it uh, life's an endurance race, basically, and and it's one of the reasons I like endurance racing. It reminds me of my life. Uh, but the the thing that that's interesting about it is is that. You're in this long race. You don't know who your teammates are going to be from season to season sometimes, but you start to understand what it takes to survive and still be there. And, you know, ironically, back to Robin, Robin was part of the biggest mistake I ever made in, in this company's history, which was I launched a magazine called Champ Car in basically an advocacy of CART at a time that CART was about to start to die on us. And Robin was a, a, a central to the voice of that magazine. We worked together really for the first time then. And uh, the thing that really got me about that, that magazine grew very rapidly in comparison to Racer even. Then it lost all its ad base and went away. Now, Racer was near death when we bought it back. Uh, thankfully, Haymarket had purchased the company or the majority of it from me at the end of... Uh, or beginning of 2001 and we were together for five years and then they owned it during the worst possible time to own a publication. They yeah. took the brunt of it um, during the recession and so forth. And we kept a good relationship. They sold it back to me and my partners, uh, Rob Dyson and Chris Dyson and Bill Sparks. And we carried forward. And the reason we're still here now, I think is that we've evolved. Yeah. You know, the frequency is different. The quality, quality levels maintained. Um, we found the voice in relationship to the website. We don't duplicate a lot of what we do in the exactly. two mediums. And the magazine is something you can keep and read at any time. It's it's not necessarily in the moment, minute to minute or second to second, but it's of an era. And it gives you perspective on what you may have just seen or are about to see. But it's, it, it's, it's a talisman to the time you live in in motorsport and uh very proud of lawrence foster our, our editor-in-chief who's just one of the most creative brilliant creative people i've ever met and worked with he he knows how to balance all of these things and make it work and he loved robin they were great oh, together yeah they were a great collaboration and some of the work that robin did is among the very best work it ranks at the very top of what we've ever published mm. i i i'm I'm sure you're only still getting used to to Lawrence's um, Hull accent uh, as well, even after all these. Of course, he still sounds like, oh, can I have a kind of cook? Um, <laughs> I've worked with him for many years. One of my favourite people as well. Uh, we'll we'll finish we'll finish talking about Robin, which I'm sure he would hate us for doing. Um, we often talk about legacy. We often talk about what's left behind. I don't know where you even start with someone like. Robin Miller, with his broadcast, with his writing, with his reporting. You said reporting, and I think that was an interesting and correct distinction that you made. He didn't just write, he reported. He he got under the skin of things and, and, yeah. and found things things out. If there is a legacy, and there is a legacy, 
what would you put at the top of that Robin Miller legacy list? Be competitive, stay, you know, he, he wanted everybody he worked with to be as competitive as he was. He was competitive. He was a racer. Uh, he wanted the sport he covered to be competitive with any former racing or sport in the world. And he covered basketball as well. So he understood com competition on multiple levels, but that he was, he was racing something or someone or, um, racing to somewhere every moment he was alive. He was trying to work to the last week of his life. He wanted to continue to work and was writing and trying to do things. He, he just, he lived his life uh, as if every day was a lap that he could win. And I want us all here at Racer to take that forward with us. And I hope the people that were his friends in the sport, uh, the people who own teams, who are drivers, uh, people who he helped, the sanctioning bodies, fellow journalists and colleagues who I know he helped and bring along, I hope they carry him in their hearts as they go forward and remember uh, his spirit and, and are motivated by it um, because he was a, an inspiring, fun person to be around. And, and I, I miss him dearly. And lovely to hear such fond, fond remembrances of Robert Miller from you. Paul Fanner, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, they brought them all uh, with Mr. Miller. No, no doubt about that. Thank you for talking about him here on Midweek Motorsport. Much appreciated. My pleasure, John. Thank you. Thank you, Paul, for coming on tonight. I know how difficult that was. We've run over, Tim, but um, reasonably so uh, tonight. Busy weekend coming up on RS1 and RS2. I, I think we can honestly say there's no time to explain, can't we? Definitely. Possibly RS3 if uh, things go really badly wrong. But <laughs> certainly RS1 uh, and RS2. Uh, and uh, more Midweek Road Sport next week. Thank you to all of us. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. For more, subscribe to Midweek Motorsport wherever you get your podcasts.